get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. kind of reminded us of Wayno, you know, that kind of reminded us of that, you know, it looked like he got in a little bit of trouble, but then found a way to get out of it, and then next thing you know, he went seven plus, so uh, just a uh, vintage uh, Dakota, and, uh, and he's a competitor, man, we love having him out there, and he did a great job. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. I have sure? to eat some crow today, because what we saw yesterday out of Dakota Hudson was nothing short of spectacular. He was awesome. And he went up against a team, to be fair, that has not been hitting, and I can't explain it. I don't know why San Diego can't hit this year, but they can't, and Dakota Hudson kept a bad lineup down. And when you get that version of Dakota Hudson, it looks like a completely different version of the St. Louis Cardinals. That voice you heard coming in was Nolan Arenado reacting to Dakota Hudson's performance yesterday, and he compared it to an Adam Wainwright-esque start. And I think there's a reason why, Alex. Dakota Hudson did not look very good early in that game. He looked like he just didn't have it. He was not throwing enough strikes and he was getting hit pretty hard early in that game. And then he settled in. And when you look up, it ends up being seven innings, four hits, three strikeouts, one earned run. And the biggest number, he walked one in the entirety of that outing. I'll give full kudos to Dakota Hudson when he's able to do that. He looked really good yesterday. I wish the strike numbers were still up a little bit from where you'd like to see them. But if he's going to be able to go seven innings consistently, that's the kind of guy that you were talking about coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, like it or not, if I said it in tongue in cheek or not, the guy looked like a number two, number three starter for the way that he performed yesterday against San Diego. And again, I I know that the, the numbers don't resemble San Diego's offense and Tatis wasn't there, but you still went up against a guy who was MVP caliber and Manny Machado. You still went up against some really good talent and you went seven innings and gave up Warner and run. And the other thing that I loved about it is he induced 10 ground balls. Like that's That's huge. That's exactly what Dakota Hudson is. He's not the swing and miss guy. He'll get a couple of strikeouts, but the length is what you wanted from him. I personally think, and he's had three other starts this season that I thought were good. Now the walks were a little bit higher, but he still got six innings for them. Nearly got to seven once. For me, this game against San Diego, I think, was the moment for Dakota Hudson to be a lot more confident in his stuff, to not worry about the outside noise of Ali Marmol talking about how he's got to hit the strike zone more, or worrying about the pitch com coming in so he can pick up his pace. This was the start for Dakota Hudson to say, okay, whatever I just did, 
I'm going to do that again because this this is what I expected from Dakota Hudson. What Miles Michaelis is doing consistently is what I was expecting from Dakota Hudson, and hopefully this is the jumping off point for him. I'm with you 100%. And you know what? The thing for me, it shows me that Dakota Hudson is just a freaking gamer. I mean, you I know that's kind of cliche to say, but I mean, they came into that game and we talked about it behind the scenes. They had McFarlane, Whitley, Whitgren, and I think that was about it coming out of the bullpen. Like Verhagen, because he pitched in the game. So they had basically four guys. They're big arms in Gallegos, Cabrera, and Helsley were all unavailable for that game. You basically needed Hudson to give you this type of performance. Otherwise, it was going to be a difficult game to piece together for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm sure Ollie said something to him before the game. And Hudson goes out there, he gives you these seven strong innings, and he and he looked incredible. He was locating his pitches. I know he still had struggles with balls and strikes, but honestly, at this point, I've just accepted that's kind of Dakota Hudson. So, And I think at one point he set down 17 straight batters. So it showed to me that Hudson's able to step up what he needs to, and that's a good sign for the St. Louis Cardinals rotation. Yeah, what you're seeing right now is a rotation that's starting to kind of come together a little bit. I know that there were some people that were freaking out about it over the last week because of the lack of innings, but I, frankly, I'm not there. The Cardinals are 9-3 and three in their last 12 games, and they've done that against, yes, Pittsburgh, but then Toronto, Milwaukee, San Diego. We said going into that stretch, this is a big test for the Cardinals. Toronto, Milwaukee, San Diego. We're about to find out if the Cardinals are for real or not, or if we what we saw against Pittsburgh was kind of a one-off because they went up against a terrible opponent. Guys, the Cardinals are for real. I don't know if they're going to be the best team in the National League. I would say that probably lies in L.A. with the Dodgers and New York with the Mets, but the Cardinals are right there behind those teams. You look at what the starting pitching has done in these 12 games to give them a chance the innings are not what you would want in the last 12 games. They have thrown 58 total innings. Now to be fair, some of that is because they went to the opener a couple of times in this stretch, but they have a 3.6 ERA from their starters in this stretch of 12 games where they've played really well. That's what they need. If they can just get really solid starting pitching, I feel pretty good about that. And that continues today, Alex. The Cardinals are going out to Chicago. They've got a five game set against the Cubs who are actually playing okay baseball right now they're not a good team I'm not going to pretend that they are but earlier today I was listening to Jesse Rogers on with Carriker and Smallman and he said if he could use one word to describe the Cubs this year it would be scrappy I think that's right they just won two out of four they won the last two games of the series against Milwaukee the Brewers were not able to take advantage of playing against a bad opponent the Cardinals need to they've got to win at least I would say four out of five to feel really good about this series against Chicago and today's starter and Matthew Libertor, I think he's the piece that the Cardinals were missing last year. The reason why I do not think that the Cardinals need to go out there and acquire a starter, whether it be Dallas Keuchel or whoever else is that retread guy that people are proposing today, Matthew Libertor is that guy. I think he, at worst, should give you what you would expect out of Dallas Keuchel at this point in Keuchel's career. Matthew Libertor has really high upside. His curveball looks incredible when it is at its best. And at its worst, he's going to give you four plus innings. He's going to give up a few runs and you get him out of the game. So Matthew Libertor to me is, I know we talked about this a lot with the Blues, but he's the X factor. He's the swing guy in the Cardinals rotation right now. First of all, I don't appreciate you calling future Cardinals rotation pitcher Dallas Keuchel retread. Uh, That's filthy. Yeah, that's uh, cruel. Come man. up with a little bit of better term for that. But I am with you. Like, before I sit here and, and bring up Dallas Keuchel's name or talk about making trades for a starting pitcher, 
I'd like to see what this guy's got. The first start against Pittsburgh wasn't great, but frankly, I didn't really expect his first start at the majors to be great. I was impressed by what he did against Milwaukee. Yeah. Like that's a big time team to go up against. And Matthew Levator, his second only start in the majors and he goes scoreless against them. So I'd like to see what the guy's got. I'm not, I'm not banking on this kid being the long-term answer this season in your rotation, because I think you're going to see hiccups at some point. And maybe I'll, maybe I'll be wrong with this. Maybe it'll be like a Nolan Gorman where he just looks like he fits, but with pitchers and for how young he is, I, I would imagine it's going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride. I think it'll be a great depth piece. Maybe you use him as a weapon come playoff times around the bullpen. But for right now, I'd like to see what you've got here because then I can just stop talking about Jake Woodford and Johan Oviedo and Connor Thomas and whoa, all of these other whoa, names. Wait, you went one name too far. I just don't need these retreads out here, you know? Oh, Connor Thomas is not if a I can retread. Say it, you can say it about my guy. I'll say it about your guy. My guy's a lot younger. Like, let me, could be Keiko's kid, probably. Let, let, let the big dog roll a little bit here. See what he's got and then make your decision. Give him a couple of weeks as your guy in the rotation and then and when Steven Matz is 100%, when Jack Flaherty's 100%, then you can make your decision. Yeah, I think the Cardinals were hoping that Libertor would be that guy last year, and he just wasn't ready. He had some of his struggles, especially early on, down in AAA with the Memphis Redbirds. And so far, I, if he can cover what he's done in his first two starts, yeah, that's absolutely all you need from him, about five innings, give him around that three-run threshold. And then if he can limit some of the walks, I know he's, he's been, I think he's had five walks in his two starts. Cut that down just a little bit, but as long as it's not the John Gann experience of like five walks in a start, huh. you're going to be fine with Matthew Libertor, and I think he can give you five innings. And honestly, I think he's better than what he kind of is now. He's kind of in that four-five spot in a rotation for the Cardinals, and you kind of expect that for a kid that just got the call up. I think his upside is going to be around that two, three in a rotation. So he's learning on the fly, but yeah, he could definitely do what the Cardinals need from him. And you're not going to get that Johan Oviedo experience where you see the stuff, but it just isn't playing in the major leagues. I think his stuff will play here at the big league level. So last year we've talked about this a lot, but I just want to do this quick comparison. The guys that saved your rotation, they were all lefties. So they were all in similar spots to what you're expecting right now out of Libertor. Was John Lester, Jay Happen, uh, Wade LeBlanc. LeBlanc. Oh. Lester, 12 games, 66 innings, 4.4 ERA. So basically gave you five, five and a half innings per start for four and a half ERA. Jay Happ, 11 starts, 54 innings, 4.3 ERA. Again, right around five innings per start on average. Wade LeBlanc, now he had eight starts, but he appeared in 12 games, so there were a couple of relief appearances that added to this innings total. Eight starts, gave you about 40 innings, 3.6 ERA. And that, again, takes into account some of the relief appearances that he had here in St. Louis. That's what I want. If I can get a mid-four ERA and five or so innings per start out of Matthew Liberator, with that knowing that there is also some upside in him, where you might get a start where he goes six innings and it looks like, whoa, Okay, that's the stuff they've been talking about. That is why they acquired him for Randy Rosarena. That's the piece they just didn't have at this point last year. Like Johan Oviedo, God bless him. But last year, he was not ready for this level yet. He was walking everybody. He ended up with a five ERA in 13 starts for the Cardinals. Same thing could be said about John Kant. He was walking everybody. I understand. We all saw it. The ERA is going to be low, but we all knew that the results were not able to sustain. Carlos Martinez, 16 starts last year, had a six ERA on the season. Liberator is better than the options that you had at this point last year. He absolutely is. I mean, every time any of those starters, with the exception of John Lester, because John Lester, 
he, he didn't get me as nervous, but LeBlanc, Hap, every time they took them out, I'm sitting there going, this isn't going to be good. I can't believe this blasphemy. It's you true, though. LeBlanc? Don't act like your butt cheeks weren't tight during Whoa, those moments that wow. they were on the they field. They were with Lester. I actually no, didn't. Le- Lester, Lester had his me. first game was awful, and it was against Baltimore, if I remember correctly. Maybe not. It, his first start, I was like, oh, well, there you go. Season's over. And then from then on, John Lester was actually what you provide, what you needed. Matthew Liebertor is the guy for right now. Again, I'm not going to jump on board saying he's the answer for the rest of this season for you because I still think it's going to be necessary to go out there and get something that can attribute to your rotation set already. But for right now, I'm letting Matthew Levitor go. And that's what we're going to get into on the other side. There's one team that I think Cardinals fans should be monitoring. Jason Stark wrote about them over at The Athletic earlier today. We'll let you hear what he had to say about them. And I think watching the Padres gives me more appreciation for what the Cardinals have been able to accomplish this season. I'll explain why on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I really, truly believe the formula at its peak, which is where I think it is, will end up winning the NL Central. I think the Brewers know they're coming. All these guys on the IL, everyone nationally understands the Cardinals are red hot. Paul Goldschmidt's playing better than he's ever played. And this team's a machine right now. You get Flaherty back in the rotation, watch out. This is Cardinal baseball at its best. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was the great Greg Amsinger on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. If you missed any of their show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Alex, watching the Cardinals go up against the Padres, I, I got to tell you, it gave me more appreciation of what the Cardinals have done offensively so far this year. The Padres are without Fernando Tatis Jr. right now, and as a result, their offense has plummeted, man. They're getting really good contributions from Manny Machado and, surprisingly, Eric Cosmer, who they wanted nothing to do with all offseason. They were trying to trade him to anybody that would be willing to just take on his salary. So those guys, Machado so far on the season has a 978 OPS, although he was pretty quiet against the Cardinals during that series. Eric Cosmer has an 800 OPS on the season. The only other player on the entire roster, Alex, that has an OPS over 700, which is not good, 700 is like slightly below league average. The only other player on the roster that has an OPS over 700 is Jerkson Profar, and he's at 735. He's batting 230 on the season. That is their third best hitter on the year so far this year. To give you context, that basically means Tommy, or excuse me, uh, Albert Pujols, who has a 730 OPS on the season, would be the third best hitter right now on the San Diego Padres. What the Cardinals have done. With Paul DeYoung basically being a shell of himself, Tyler O'Neill not being the same player that he was a year ago and looking more like 2019 Tyler O'Neill, and Dylan Carlson being on the injured list now for, what, a week and a half or so and probably for another week or two, what they've been able to do with guys like Gorman and Donovan and Yepes and uh, even Andrew Kisner at the beginning of the year buying them time before Yadier Molina became himself. That is crazy impressive compared to what you're watching right now out of the San Diego Padres, who came into the season with a higher rated 
uh, prospect list than the Cardinals did. Super impressive. It absolutely is. And look, a lot of this I understand is you put an asterisk next to it because no Fernando Tatis Jr. And that makes a difference. But that's kind of to the point that you're making there because the Cardinals don't have Tyler O'Neill from last year. That's an MVP caliber player. Offensively, very similar. And without him... The Cardinals have still thrived. Now, there have been some ups and downs with it, but to think that you've got a guy that really anybody other than hardcore Cardinals fans had no idea was going to be a part of this team, let alone who he was, Brennan Donovan, who's hitting an 848 OPS right now. You've got Juan Yepes. You've got Tommy Edmond, who's been chipping in a lot more than what I think people anticipated. That, to me is what's so impressive because last year we went into the season, we talked about this yesterday, of saying that the San Diego Padres are up in that high-tier class of of teams that are going to make a chase for a World Series, like the Dodgers. The Cardinals, in my opinion, after watching these games, now again, Tatis and they line up, maybe they look a little bit different. I think the Cardinals are better than San Diego. I agree. I think it's pretty simple to look at that team and look at the Cardinals and say, well, they have a better roster. They have a better setup And now when you talk about the division, they have a better path to winning the division to hopefully pushing for a World Series. So, frankly, it was very impressive watching that series from the Cardinals perspective and thinking of the guys who chipped in, whereas you look at the San Diego side and the only guys that are hitting for them are Manny Machado and Eric Hosmer. Yeah, and you look at it just like putting a fine fine point on this. The Padres offense this year, 23rd in batting average, 16th in on-base percentage, 28th in slugging percentage, 28th in slugging. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, sixth in batting average. This isn't all of baseball, not just the National League. Sixth in on base, 14th in slugging percentage, and they are 10th in OPS plus on the season. So Cardinals top 10 offense and OPS plus, Padres bottom 10 offense and OPS plus. If you had told me coming into the season that that would be the case on, what is it, June 2nd, I would have called you crazy, especially if you told me the Cardinals were wrong to place their faith in Paul DeYoung. They were not going to get a repeat performance out of Tyler O'Neill, and Dylan Carlson would have like a two-week stretch where he gets hot but otherwise would be cold, and then he would go on the IL. Man, to see this is wild. And so this is where we get to the, okay, I got to give a lot of credit to Brendan Donovan. My God, has he been good, man. It feels like every game, there's at least one play, whether it be at the plate or in the field, that Brendan Donovan makes that makes you go, you know what? That guy's just a gamer. Tanner mentioned this in relation to Dakota Hudson in our opening segment. Man, Brendan Donovan is just a really good baseball player. I know it's cliche, but he does everything pretty well. I don't know that he does anything great other than walk. He's like one of the elite walkers in all of baseball right now. But... Other than that, like he doesn't hit the ball super hard, but it seems to find holes more often than not. It's not a great defensive performance that you're going to get at any individual percent uh, uh, position. But as Ollie Marmol says, he catches the ball and he throws it pretty well for the most part. He's just he's a darn good baseball player, and he's exactly what the Cardinals needed. It reminds me of this time last year where I remember Dan would say to us, where would this team be without Tommy Edmond? Because he was playing at second. He was playing in the outfield. Anywhere they needed him, he was filling in admirably. That's basically been what Brendan Donovan has done so far this season. He His first at-bat yesterday, the, the Padres are playing the shift to the far right and he just plugs it right up the left side yep. of the third baseline. Like, that's Brendan Donovan. And I was trying to think of just guys who who he reminds you of. And in, in, in all reality, he reminds you a lot of Tommy Edmond. And I'm glad that you said that because, I mean, he kind of is a Tommy Edmond for you, a utility player that you were thinking, man, who's going to fill this void for us now that we're looking for somebody else with Colton Wong leaving? And now with no Paul DeYoung, who's going to fill that void for us? And I know it's a little, been a little bit of Juan Yepes, but... 
think it's also been a lot of Brendan Donovan. Yeah, he's he's been crazy impressive, um, and he's been able he's been the guy that keeps your offense afloat since he has come up to the big league level. So, Alex, earlier today, if the Cardinals are going to continue on this trend of being potentially the best team in the division, as you heard from Greg Amsinger uh, coming into this segment, if they're going to do that and they're going to be a buyer as we get closer to the deadline, there's one team that I would keep an eye on, and it's the Philadelphia Phillies. And I mentioned this briefly yesterday, but it just continues to go south for them. And earlier today over on The Athletic, uh, Jason Stark wrote about the implosion that we have seen. They have now lost one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of their last nine games. And that's going up against the competitors in the NL. They're talking about the Braves, the Mets, and the Giants. They are now 22 and 29 on the season. It's gone poorly. And they have one of the worst defenses that we've seen in baseball in the last decade. The only team that had these kinds of numbers defensively that made the playoffs over the last 10 years was the Detroit Tigers in 2013. If you're looking at their bullpen, which has been an issue for years, they spent a bunch of money to try to fix it this offseason. They have walked more batters out of their bullpen than they have from their starters on the season. Their bullpen has thrown 90 fewer innings than their starters. So 90 fewer innings, and they have more walks than the starters have. Alex, if you're looking for one team that can help the Cardinals when it comes to what they need, which is probably a front-end starter if they don't get Jack Flaherty back to full form, it's the Phillies. They've got Zach Wheeler. He's on a big-time contract for three more years. I would love to add Zach Wheeler to this team, but maybe that's not the most realistic one. You have a guy that is at the front end of their rotation right now who has been unbelievable from start to finish thus far who might make a little bit more sense. Yeah, it's Aaron Nola. I I think this makes the most sense for the Cardinals in terms of finding a way to make a trade to get this, because we were talking about it. He still has two more years of options. Well, one more year after this Mm -hmm. season of options available to him, he's 29 years old and he strikes guys out and he gives you innings, which I think is what you're really looking for right now, but you don't really have a strikeout thrower on your roster in terms of rotation. Jack Flaherty is that, but you don't know what Jack Flaherty is going to look like. How about getting a guy who's got 79 strikeouts though so far through 66 and two-thirds innings? Last year, he had 223 through 180 innings. Like, I think with the defense behind an Aaron Nola that the Cardinals would provide, you're looking at a guy who is going to be putting up ace numbers for you. So if you can get this, which that's the thing. I don't know what a player like this costs because if it's going to cost you a Nolan Gorman or a Jordan Walker, then I'm out. I'm not making that trade. But if you could find a way to pull this deal, knowing that Philly is going to be bad for the next few years and knowing that they have the Zach Wheeler and this guy's cost control is going away, I'd be finding a way to pull a trigger on this sooner rather than later. Yeah, he is exactly what the Cardinals are looking for so far on the season. He has thrown 66 innings and 11 starts, so he's averaging right around six innings per start. Man, that would be wonderful to be able to add to what you have right now God. with Michaelis and Wayno in terms of just eating innings. The other thing, he fills what they have been looking for in the open market over the last couple of years. He is not walking anybody over the last. So since the start of last season, he's walking about four and a half percent of the batters that he faces. To give you context, Miles Michaelis this season has walked five percent. So he is walking fewer batters on average than Miles Michaelis has. And Miles Michaelis doesn't walk anybody. And that's what Steven Matz is at as well. So he fits the criteria that they're looking for. He is also a righty. And I like that idea of getting another uh, big time right hander into the, the rotation. And as you mentioned, Alex, this team could really use a a pitcher at the front end of the rotation that has strikeout stuff. 
I don't mind playing to your defense. The defense has taken a little bit of a step back this year by necessity because of uh, getting Nolan Gorman's bat into the lineup and they're trying to get Juan Yepes out there and Brendan Donovan, same thing. If you could have one more guy in there that just strikes out a whole lot of batters, Aaron Nola makes a ton of sense. So keep an eye on the Phillies. I don't know either what it would take, though. And I've seen already a ton of people texting on our Air Comfort Service text line 65780 that, ah, go get Frankie Montas instead. If you had the option, and let's say the cost was the exact same, Frankie Montas or Aaron Nola? Uh, Aaron Nola, Frankie Montas... He has, what, one or two years? He's got one year left on his deal as well. He's also in arbitration next year, so he's cheaper. He's going to be the guy that probably ends up costing more in terms of prospects. I I, I know that sounds strange because Nola is probably the better pitcher out of the two, I would say. Uh, But Nola has a more expensive option next year for you. I think it will take less to acquire Nola than it will to acquire Frankie Montes. And even if it was just straight up, I think I would rather have Aaron Nola. I would too. I I would rather have Aaron Nola in my rotation. I mean, think about that rotation setup for you. If you're moving forward with a healthy Jack Flaherty, a Miles Michaelis, an Adam Wainwright, and now an Aaron Nola, I mean, you don't even know what the hell to do with a Steven Matz and a Dakota Hudson. What would you give up for him? Tanner, do you have anything in mind in terms of like what it would what would what the previous cost has been for these types of players, these types of pitchers at the deadline? What do you think it would cost for the Cardinals to be able to go out and acquire a guy like that? I, I think it might cost two top thirty prospects. Now, not I'm not even sure it'd be any of your top ten. I was looking the David Price deal uh, from a couple years back when he got traded to Detroit, but even then, that's not really a good one because he didn't have a year of control with him. Uh, so I would have to say. Probably two top 30 prospects. I went back and looked at the Kyle Gibson trade to Philly last year. Now, granted, that was a six-player deal, and it had Ian Kennedy attached to it, and Philly gave up their number one overall prospect in that deal heading into the season because they needed both Kennedy and Gibson. So I would probably say it would probably be around two top 30 prospects or a top 10 and two guys that probably aren't in your top 30. I wonder if it's like Burleson and Angel Rondon, something like that. Probably for Nola, you, you might have to give up more. It might require like a Joshua Baez. If, if I'm if I'm Philly too, what I may also try is I may try and uh, pull a reliever from you, Zach Thompson, a middle the middle middle uh, inning guy from you because the Philly's bullpen so bad. And what they'll do is they're going to try and retool for next year. They're not going to blow this up in terms of resetting completely. If you end up getting Jordan Hicks back, I was just going to bring that up. It, either Hicks or maybe more likely what they would want. What about a Palante? Oh, see, I wouldn't do Palante. I would do Hicks. I think I would, too. I'm not sure that the Phillies would want it just because he only has one year left of club control and he's got got the injury issues. But if you tie him in with a couple of prospects, I wonder if that intrigues them a little bit of, of, you know, I mean, he's definitely a bullpen piece for you for sure. Maybe a rotation. But uh, for me, I'm not giving up Walker. I'm not giving up Gorman. I'm not giving up Wynn. Other than that, I'm I'm open for, for discussion. Even Herrera? I wouldn't part with Herrera either. For what I've seen with Andrew Kisner, I, I don't know if it would be that. I, I would have to have a little bit of, of sweetener going into it if Yvonne Herrera is brought into the conversation. But he's, he's it's not a no-go for me. It'll be interesting, man. I, I think it's going to cost more than what we would want for it to cost. But I don't know that I don't think that you would have to part with any of those top four guys. I don't think you would have to give up Walker, Gorman, Herrera, win, and we can go ahead and throw in Liberator into that mix as well. Coming up in about ten minutes or so, we'll get into some questions and answers. Six five seven eight oh is the air comfort service text line if you have questions for myself, Alex, or Tanner. But next, a Ferrari 05. The fourth line was not contributing in the way that Alex or Craig Baruby wanted it to this year. 
Who is available who could help that? Talk about it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You're right. It was a revolving door. We didn't really get any uh, good chemistry going on our fourth line. Um, they didn't have an identity, in my opinion, for a lot of the season until I thought that we got Torpachenko up here, and um, I thought he provided that. Um, even when, you know, I think he was up for a while, we went a little bit of a roll, and then he went back down. But even then, I thought that he really brought that, uh, that identity to our fourth line. He's a huge part of it. Um, and I thought Walker, too. He really played a big role in it. And down the stretch, Brown... Brown between Walker and Torpo. I thought they played some real good hockey for us. That was Craig Berubian with the fast lane yesterday talking about the fourth line and how they need to develop an identity going into next year. And Alex, I know that is something that we have talked about ad nauseum all season long, that if they could just figure out maybe that one more piece that they could add into the mix, it would help them to be able to roll those four, four lines more often And now that we're into the offseason, we can start looking at who those options would be. I didn't want to trade assets for a fourth-line player. I'm willing to pay, though, for a fourth-line player to come in and acquire him via free agency. Who do you think are some of the top options that could help create that identity on the fourth line? Man, back-to-back days, T-Bone, and tomorrow I got one, too. This is a three-peat for a Ferrario 5. Hit the open, T-Bone. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. So I'd just like to point out that I, I, I think I've determined what the identity of the line is going to look like with my five pl- options goal on this Ferrari 05. No, no, not all goal scorers. Wow. That can be expensive. No, I'm going size here. Now, these guys, some of these guys can skate. A lot of these guys can play physical. And all of these guys have offensive upside. So that's kind of the identity that I'm creating with this fourth line. And mind you, Torpchenko is now on that wing. And... I think Nathan Walker is going to be a part of the team, but I don't think he's going to be a consistent fourth line player. I think he'll be kind of an emergency player, though. So you're going to go look for two guys to fill that spot. Number five on this list is a guy who played last year with the Buffalo Sabres. Don't really look at those numbers, though. Look at what he did with Calgary and Pittsburgh. His name's Mark Jankowski. Uh, he's a center, can play the wing. He's 27 years old. He's six foot four, 212 pounds. Plays with a little bit of nastiness to his game, but he scored back to back. 14 and 17 goal seasons with Calgary back in 2017, 2018. So I think this gives you a little bit more size and probably gives you a little bit more physical play on a fourth line with he and Alexi Torpchenko, two guys playing on your wing or maybe him and down the center. Was he injured last year? Uh, He was injured. No, he played in the minors a little bit for uh, Buffalo, did he? Yes, yeah, so we signed with Buffalo. Must have been injured at the beginning of the season. 
started the year with uh, Rochester, their American Hockey League team. Oh, spent most of the year down in Triple mm-hmm. or I down in the AHL. Yeah. I don't want him. Yep. I don't want a minor league here. So you're saying the the Blues could get him for like nothing? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm going minimum salary oh, in this case oh, right oh, now. I like this. I mean, in, in you're in all, finding me the the Blues version of John Lester. Yeah, well, and look at it. The guy played 45 games for the Pittsburgh Penguins in 2020, 2021. You don't just get on that roster and play with those guys. Okay. So if you don't like him, let me uh, let me see if you could be interested in a Colorado Avalanche. Ooh. Yeah, huh? makes you guys a little more excited, doesn't it? Nico Connor character? No, no, not him. No, not him. Kadri? Nico? No, not <laughs> no. God, no, not Kadri. Oh. No, it's Nico Comfort, huh? He'd be nice, but he's going to be too expensive. No, it's the guy that was traded for Tyson Jost. Jost went to Minnesota. Nico Sturm went to Colorado. He, I, I think you could get a deal on this guy in, in terms of just being a very cheap option, but he's six foot three. And I thought he played the games that he played against St. Louis. He looked good at the center position. He's big. He wins faceoffs for you. He's got a little bit of a speed to him. And he created that identity of the fourth line that Colorado had for such time. Now, he was taken out of their lineup. Maybe Colorado brings him back. But if they don't, if they don't feel like he's a good option, I think you could get some size with this cap. He's also 26 years old. He'll be 27 next year. I like the idea of this. Yeah, this is, he's exactly the kind of player that I would be looking for. He finished last year with 110 shots on net as well. So he's, he's a guy that is unafraid to shoot the puck. All right, number three on this list. This is a former Boston Bruin. Ooh, oh, yeah. gross. Now, no. this guy goes against the the size factor, but this guy has a little bit of, he's got a little bit of aggression in his game. Noel Achari. Now, he was hurt for some it's time. Brad Marchand's name. No, it's not Brad Marchand's name. Kind of looks like him, though. Big nose. You, Come on, man. Well, Come I didn't. On. I, I, no, I was just. Come on, man. Read the pointing. Sorry. Sorry about that. No, so he was a little injured. He didn't play a lot with Florida this year. Only played 20 games with them. Played in the playoffs for them. Didn't score any points. But this is a guy who. Really selling him. He's a 20 goal scorer in the past. Oh. So he, honestly, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me a little bit of an Ivan Barbashev. But if you oh, remember in that yeah. 2019 Cup run, he was on that fourth line with the Boston Birds. I think he was the guy that got interfered with by Tyler Bozak when they scored the goal. What was that game? five or game four whatever it was so this he's got speed he finishes checks and i think he's a veteran kind of like a tyler bozak also who could play the center position win some face-offs and create an identity for you so last year he won about 51 percent of his face-offs he's been right around that over the last few years in terms of what he's doing for him he I guess my question would be like, he's only played, he played 40 games in the 2021 season and he played 20 games last year for Florida. Is it just kind of over for him? I I don't know if it's over. Whereas I think it's just injuries have plagued him and maybe you could catch a diamond in the rough in this circumstance also and say like, yeah, you know what? He's been dinged up. He's got a relationship with Tory Krug. I would imagine they both played on that 2019 cup final team. So I I just think, if you're not going to be able to bring back Tyler Bozak or if you decide not to, or even if he decides to retire, I think you're going to want some type of veteran presence. You don't sure. want three guys under the age of 30 playing on that fourth line. I think you want a little bit of veteran presence. And this is a guy who could do the penalty kill for you. He could play power play if you absolutely needed him What's to. Nick Ritchie up to? Well, he got bought out by his team. So that was a uh, good BK option. I got two more though. And these two, these two, I like these two. Zachary Aston Reese. So he played with Pittsburgh. He was traded to Anaheim at the trade deadline for that Ricard Raquel. If you remember correctly, he's the one that I want Raquel. Yeah. Well, he's going to cost you an awful lot in this one, but this is a guy who kind of always has been close to the 10 goals 
in a season. So he's not a big time goal scorer, but he's six foot. He's 204 pounds and he hits everything in sight. He honestly reminds me a lot of Oscar Sundquist. And he, holy cow, his his hits numbers are ridiculous. Oh, yeah. I mean, he like he is the 230 pro- hits last year. He is the prototypical bo- um, Craig Berube player. And we, we can ask Joey about this when he comes on at 12 with us because he went to Northeastern where Joe oh, went nice. to college. But this I love the idea of this guy. He even got some time playing on, on a line with Sidney Crosby for a while with Pittsburgh. So I think this is just one of those versatile players. He's a winger. He's not a centerman. So you'd have to keep him and look for a centerman still. But I like the idea of this guy. I like that one a lot. That's of the people that you've mentioned so far Aston Reese is, is my favorite you're gonna love this one I don't know how realistic this is I don't know how expensive this would be but if this is a possibility Blues need to be all over this Nick Bukestad played with Minnesota this past season he did not suit up for them in the playoffs which tells me that Minnesota's probably not looking at him as somebody for them next season this is a former 19th overall draft pick by the Florida Panthers. This is a guy who has scored 24 goals in a season. He has scored north of 15 goals three times in a season, and he is six foot six, 210 pounds. Is he a fourth liner? He's a centerman. He can be a third liner if you need him to, but he's a fourth liner also. He played fourth line minutes with Minnesota. I just think this guy would have the playmaking ability to create offense with Torepchenko. He's got the size, and I don't know what his hit numbers are, but he's got a little hits underneath his belt also, and okay. he, he's been in the league since 2012 so he's, he's a little bit of a veteran presence also played a majority of his career with florida a couple years with pittsburgh and then the last two years with minnesota aston reese is my guy aston he reese. told me that i could have one of the players that you mentioned in that ferrario five the one that stands out to me is aston reese now i don't know what his cost would be if he was was he the premier player that went back aston in reese the, in that no. trade no 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 they um they had another guy in okay. that trade that I think was more of the... I was about to say, because if he had the same value as Ricard Raquel, like that's well, a little it, concerning because he's, that probably signifies no, that he's going to be at, making money. He's a UFA, and I don't think... I think he was making... Yeah, he was making league minimum the last couple of years. Okay, so he was making a million dollars the last two seasons, and then last year he made 1.725. Okay. So you're looking at minimum salary in the circumstance for a guy like this. a second-round pick in that deal. That's yeah. what the... And Dominic, uh, Dominic Simone was the... the big time player that went in that trade form. So I think you're probably looking at, if you get this guy, probably 1. a million, 5, a million and a half to get something like this, but he's a fourth liner who could play the third line for That's you. That's my pick. That's my pick. That's I the think guy he's I like the guy too. that you get to be able to, uh, to replace some of what you got last year out of Tyler Bozak. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. In about 10 minutes or so, we're going to be joined by Joey Vitale, blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Questions and answers quickly coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. service tax line for questions and answers we'll get to joey vitale on the other side we'll do these quick hitter style alex do you think there's any chance that the fourth line next year is brown torpchenko and nathan walker no because they had the opportunity to play logan brown a lot on the fourth line playoff times and they chose not to so i think they view logan brown as a third line center for them and Nathan Walker, I could see playing fourth line, but I don't know if it's he would play there consistently. Guys, among the Blues free agents this offseason, who do you think is unlikely to return? I would say Ville Husso would be at the top of my list, and 
I don't know what the read is on Tyler Bozak. I don't know what his plans are, but he would be the other that I would say, ah, I'm not, not totally sure that he'll be back unless it's at a veteran minimum. And I'm not too sure Nick Letty could be back either. I, I mean, Nick Letty's going to have a lot of teams that are going to be calling him uh, for how good he played with the Blues in the playoffs. So uh, he might be out of the Blues price range. In ter- like, you can't afford to pay him $5 million on top of having three guys that are making six, six and a half million. So he's another one that I would say. The only one that I would say is likely is David Perron. From the 636, guys between Torpchenko, Neighbors, and Barbashev, how would you rank those three in terms of playing top nine minutes for the Blues next year? So Torpchenko, Barbie, and neighbors. I would say neighbors, Barbie, Torpchenko. I would go neighbors, Torpchenko, Barbie. Barbie, a distant third. I, I think Torpchenko's your fourth liner no matter what. The only way he's playing third top nine minutes is if there's an injury and they need somebody because they need an identity on the fourth line. You just heard Craig Ruby say yeah. it last segment. Torpchenko's going to be the identity centerpiece for that fourth line. Uh, guys, what's going on with Johan Oviedo? He was in the big leagues last year, and I haven't heard anything about him so far this year. That's because he's been struggling. Uh, Johan Oviedo down in the minors has just not been Ooh. what the Cardinals were hoping that he would be so far Ooh. on the season. He has a 5.6 ERA. He has gone an average of five innings per start for the Memphis Redbirds. And his walk numbers are right around one for every two innings that he has pitched. He's just not Ooh. commanding his stuff. Okay, so we're done there. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. We've got Believe It or Not coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst, wraps up the season for us coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. I was hoping as we would be talking today with our friend, the blues analyst for the blues radio network, Joey Vitale, we would be talking about the Western conference finals. Alas, it was not meant to be. And so we are recapping the season for the blues today with our friend via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line, Joey Vitale joining us now here on the show. Joey, how you doing today, man? Joey, Joey, Joey. Joey. Ah. I'm going to miss that boys. I'm going to miss it this summer. Hey guys, I'm doing Doing really well, like you said, BK. You said it fast. You know, you're hoping to still talk Blues hockey. Unfortunately, uh, it didn't happen just that way. The Blues ran into the juggernaut of the Colorado Avalanche team. They knew they'd have to get past at some point in the playoffs. And uh, to be honest with you, I think they just uh, got beat by a better team. But no, if offseason begins and, and now a whole bunch of new storylines to, to certainly follow as we continue into the summer months. Joey, as I look back on that series, I mean, there, there's so many what ifs, and I think that's the worst part, right? It's a the way that it happened at the very end of Game Six against Colorado, and then B just losing Bennington, not being able to have Tory Krug for that series. That makes it hurt that much worse. But when you look back on the season as a whole, Ryan O'Reilly said earlier this week in his media availability that it was a disappointing year because of how talented this Blues team was, that they weren't able to make it further. I still view it as a success given the injuries, given how much they were able to overcome and given the fact that they, they gave Colorado all they could handle. How do you assess the overall results for the 2022 blue season? You know what? Honestly, I, I'm looking at it pretty optimistically. You know, I, I think that listen, it was going to be hard to get past Colorado. I think everyone knows that. I mean, to me, this is still, this is still maybe the team uh, that's going to win the Stanley cup. I, I think it's going to be the team that wins it. I think Tampa would give them, a pretty hard run, but the way New York's handled the, the Tampa Bay Lightning in game one, 
maybe the Rangers get past them. You know what I mean? And uh, I think if Colorado can solidify a little bit of goaltending, hopefully, you know, Darcy Kemper proves to be okay. I think that's still the favorite to win. So you got beat by what I, what I claim to think is going to be the team that wins the Stanley Cup. So I think from a playoff standpoint, you know, it, it's okay. You get past Minnesota. It was a great first round. Um, you were right there in the second round. You're bounced away from forcing the game seven. I mean, it's close. And I think if you take a snapshot of what happened in playoffs, let's, let's magnify it to the whole season. It was close in the playoffs. It was close all season long. I mean, that's why I look at this season from an optimistic standpoint. You know, I'm sitting up in the booth, and, of course, when Helm scores that goal late, uh, it's, it's one of those things where all season long, the Blues were always in a game. It was amazing. I mean, there's only been maybe two or three games where they got blown out. The one in Calgary, they come home, the one in Colorado with Avalanche come back to town. But there were certain games that they got blown out. But aside from that, I would say 98% of all the games we saw, it was right there to the very end. You know, don't, don't get mesmerized by the score. A lot of times it's those empty netters that can mm-hmm. kind of fool you. The Blues are right there to the very end. So to me, guys, I, I look at this season as certainly, like Ryan O'Reilly said, a disappointment. But looking at the offseason, you're close. There's only a couple things you got to tweak, and I think you're right back in the mix. I mean, this isn't a situation where it's an offseason now, and you're looking at it, well, we've got no, no support from the, our, our goal scorers. You know, our goaltender was trash. We don't know what the heck's going to happen with him. Um, where, where are our defense? Right? It, it's not like it's a completely recycle of players where we have to figure out how to become competitive again. I mean, we have the pieces. We had the pieces this year. We certainly will have the pieces moving forward. It's just a minor tweak here and there. You know, what happens with David Fron? Can we figure out maybe a fourth liner to really kind of solidify 12 forward where we can run 12 in a positive way? You know, an injury here, an injury there, and you're right back in the mix. Um, Jordan Bennington, to me, he's proven that he's the guy again, right? For a while there, wasn't looking like that. What are we the goaltender situation? So, again, there's so many great things to follow on the season. Uh, but at the end of the day, I'm looking at this offseason as Doug Armstrong does not have a ton to do. It's only a minor tweak here and there, and this team is right back in it. Joe, you mentioned that fourth line. Um, we just played a cut of Craig Berube, who was on the fast lane yesterday, talking about how they just didn't have an identity all season long. Do you think that, with the exception of David Perron, is going to be priority number one for Doug Armstrong to try and come up with an identity for that line? You know what? I think that I've always said that the fourth line identity is created by the individuals on the line. You know, I mean, no one would have expected the Steen, Barbashev, Sunquist. Um, line to be what it was until Craig Bruby put those three together. You know, so I think that that's something that is going to have to be a uh, structure moving forward. I will say to me, the lightning rod, the catalyst, the guy right in the middle of it all has got to be 12 Chanko, I think for simply the way he played in the postseason down the stretch of the season, um, his speed, his tenacity, his physicality, um, his approach to the game, his consistency every single night. I mean, he, he needs a driver. You know, that's what Oscar Sundquist was to Craig Berube for a long time there. He was the driver of this team. And I think the Blues lost that when they lost Sonny. Not when they traded him, but when he got hurt. That's when they lost that driving lightning rod force for Craig Berube. Barbashev was kind of the secondary guy for Craig Berube, but I think that, you know, he scored a lot of goals this year. He was kind of in between, like, is he a goal scorer? Is he, is he a fourth-line grinder, right? We didn't really know what he was, and at times maybe he didn't know what he was uh, because he can certainly do both. But to me, you got to have guys that understand that role. And to me, Torpchenko is that guy. Joey, as we look at that fourth line, just a little bit of a quick follow-up question on that for you. Alex mentioned a player that I think it looks like he would fit the part, but I want to get your thoughts on him. He's from your alma mater at Northeastern, played for Pittsburgh, and then was traded last year at the deadline to Anaheim, and that's Zach Aston Reese. 
Is that the type of player that you think the Blues might be looking for this offseason? And if not, what what do you think they will be looking for? Who are maybe some names that immediately come to mind for you? You, you know what? It's definitely inter- it's an interesting one. Um, yeah, Zach Aston Reese, of course, he had a great career in, in college, you know, uh, playing alongside uh, Gaudette and a bunch of guys that uh, were certainly a, a team to take Northeastern very far. He had some success in Pittsburgh. Like, I'm quite frankly, a lot of kids will have success in Pittsburgh because they're just so deep and so good, and you're surrounded by the best players in the world. Um, he picked up his pace, I think, in Anaheim. There's a good opportunity for him there. You know, it just it, a lot of it just depends, I think, BK, on, on, on what Craig Berube decides he wants out of this fourth line. I mean, uh, you can look at it two different ways. I mean, do you look at more of a grinded-out, um, smash-mouth style like a bunch of Torpchenkos? Um, or do you go down a different road where uh, you, you kind of follow along what Craig Berube said the other day? This is a, it's a fast, skilled game now. You need goal scoring and depth from all four lines. You know, I think, is there a way to find a balance? Is there a way to find a mix where you can have uh, both those things um, in a guy? I, I certainly think so. You know, uh, to me, I, I, I don't know. Like, to me, I think that we, we really can use, you know, a guy like Delorier, which you saw in Minnesota, a guy that um, has that weird balance where he plays physical but we, we think we still need a little bit of toughness. I think there's still value in that toughness in this league where you, know, you get a guy like Goudreau, get a guy like Ryan Reeves. They're, they're, they're few and far in between. But if you can figure out a way to land one of them, they really can establish um, something pretty special there on that fourth line. And I think that they can create a little bit of space from everyone around them. Joe, final one from me. Uh, I think the bigger topic that a lot of people are going to be talking about this offseason is, is defense and what they're going to do with it moving forward. I want to put you in Doug Armstrong's shoes. If you had the option to just re-sign Nick Letty, who's got some familiarity here with St. Louis, or maybe go big sea fishing and look for a guy like a Jacob Chikrin in the offseason, which one would you lean towards? I mean, listen, I love the way uh, Nick Letty played on the stretch for us. I thought he, he brought that predictability. I thought he brought um, – he's just a guy that – that made a play when we needed him to make a play. I mean, this is what, you know, Mike Van Ryan had a conversation with him. I think it was leaving the Calgary game about three or four months ago. And we were talking about the struggles of the game and struggles, maybe that time in the season. And, you know, he said something to me, he said, you know who we really miss? And I was thinking like, uh, Petrangelo, you know, he goes, we miss a player like Carl Gunnarsson. And I was like, really Carl? He's like, yeah, we just need a guy that's going to step over the boards and just make that play. Just make that simple pass, get out of the zone and let's get going. Like, so uh, there, for defense, Alex, there is a level of simplicity that I think that this, this, this coaching staff really appreciates and really enjoys. It's not just the flash of the Kale McCars. Um, it, it's just those players that can step over like Callie Rosen did. We just saw him sign an extension here. I think for rightful reasons, because he reminds them a lot of Carl Gunnarsson, um, you know, Nick Letty, what does that look like? Is it a one year? Is it a two year? You know, he's kind of getting up there in age right now, but I really love the way he kind of brought this team together. I think him along with, his fellow Minnesota boy there and Justin Falk, they really brought this kind of quiet poise to that back end. And if you remember right, uh, that, that, that quiet poise is what really helped the Blues win in 2019. It wasn't the rah-rah guys on the backside, right? It was the Jay Bo Meesers. It was the Carl Gunnarsons. I mean, even Joel Edmondson to some degree could play a little quiet style of game. It was those guys that kind of kept everything patient and calm back there. You want to ask yourselves, why do the Blues always um, find themselves in games? Why, when they were down in games all season long over the last three years under Craig Ruby, why, when they were down in games, did they always figure out a way to come back? To me, the answer is simple. It's just you got a quiet poise on that bench, and it's the personalities, it's the character of the players on that bench that create that calm, solidified poise, whether it be Nicoletti, 
Ryan O'Reilly, the Jay Bowmeisters, the Carl Gunnarsons, um, you know, so many players on that bench just had that quiet approach. And I think that that's certainly a value, and Nick Letty can certainly bring that. So to me, Doug Armstrong, uh, that's one of the main many decisions he's got to make. I mean, if you make that decision, where does that fit for Scott Perunovich? I mean, two similar players, of course, a big gap in age. Is it time to give Scott Perunovich um, that jump, to give him that love? You know, he plays a very similar style to Nick Letty, can run a power play, can get up in the offense. You know, so it's just a lot of it's going to depend on Nick Letty is where they I think they feel where Scott Perunovich is um, during this offseason. Remember, he got that wrist surgery there in January. Made a comeback there for the playoffs, which was awesome, which is going to really help his offseason. But at the same time, if they don't feel like he's ready to make that jump, maybe assign Nick Letty, have him be a mentor for one more year. Final question for Joey Vitale. He's the Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network. We've appreciated all of his time that he's been able to give us throughout the Blues season. Joey, one bold prediction from you for the offseason, whether it be a guy that the Blues maybe acquire or an offseason for a player that you think is just going to come back and maybe take on a role that Blues fans don't expect. You can take this in any direction, but what's a prediction that you have for the offseason that you think fans should keep an eye on? Well, my, my biggest thing is I think you got to sign David Perron. You know, I think that uh, not only what he did this uh, this year offensively, uh, he I, I just the, the more I hear from him talking the media, he is he has really grown in to becoming um, quite an individual, not only as a player but but as an individual in this league. You know, the way he talks to the media, the way he answers questions, um, he has the same approach in the locker room, uh, the leadership core. He he is he is part of that inner circle to me. You know, you have a lot of teams and coaches do it differently. But I had a coach once. You draw a circle and then a bigger circle around that circle. And then and it's basically layers, right? And then you always got to make sure that you have a strong core of players in that inner circle because everyone's going to feed off of from there. You know, you got people in that circle like like Ryan O'Reilly, right? Like like Colton Pringle, Justin Falk. And we have players that. I mean, Tory Krug, to me, he's in that circle of leadership groups. David Prawn is right there. Um, not only what he does for, for Ryan O'Reilly on that top line, but the way he drags players into the fight. You, you look at his game. And you just want to mimic it and you want to uh, imitate it. If I'm on that bench and I see the way he competes, you want to be that. And you know that what he says, even though it's not a ton, you know that it's going to be positive. It's going to be direction for winning hockey. There's just not a lot of players left in this league right now, for whatever reason, that have that competitive edge like David Prawn has. They just don't. And I'm not sure why that is, but the way he holds on to pucks, and the way he just uh, loses it and he just grabs it back. I mean, he will do anything to get it back. Uh, the way he created chaos in playoffs, whether it be drawing penalties, going to the net, um, getting involved with the cadre thing. I mean, it's just things like that. He's just so incredibly passionate uh, alongside with all the incredible hockey skills that he, he obtains, of course. But I think, that, I think that to help Ryan O'Reilly in that leadership group, I think David Prom is just a guy you have to bring back. You've got to figure a way to make it work, whether it be uh, give him a term or give him a price tag, a bonuses, however it's structured. Uh, to me, that, that, that is the most important thing, I think, with this offseason. I thought it was at first you know, the Billy Huso and the Jordan Bennington thing, but that was about three or four weeks ago. I think, to me, the, the questions have been answered there. I think that Jordan Bennington certainly has shown that he still is the guy here, and it works out well because they already signed up that great contract. Billy Huso, to me, um, he's going to move on. He's going to get paid. I think he is the best backup goaltender in the league right now on the market. Plenty of opportunities for him. I mean, you look at every other team in the National Hockey League still playing out. I mean, Koskin in the backup, you know, Francois uh, backup. I mean, to me, those guys, they just don't, they don't have what a starter has. Billy's not only got the youthfulness, he's got the skill, he's got the presence. He can be a starter somewhere. I think you got to let that one go. So to me, David Prawn is, is the biggest thing that Doug Armstrong has to figure out and take care of 
moving forward in this offseason. He's Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for the Blues Radio Network. Joey, enjoy the offseason, man, and we'll talk with you again soon. Thank you so much for everything and enjoying uh, joining us rather throughout the uh, the Blues season. We'll talk with you again soon, man. Hey, BK, Alex, and uh, Tanner, you guys do a, do a heck of a job. It's always a pleasure on, my, on these Thursdays. I always enjoy them all season long. Again, from midday to afternoon radio, you guys are the best in the business. I appreciate all your homework and everything you do, being prepared and, and bringing it to the people in St. Louis. And uh, God bless you all. We'll talk to you guys uh, next next fall. Absolutely. You're the best. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. Again, huge thanks to him for joining us throughout the blue season. Uh, we'll be talking to him coming up as the blues start out the 2022 NHL season. There are certainly going to be uh, plenty of changes throughout the offseason. He mentioned the big thing that he expects is that the blues will be, bring back David Perron. I think we're all on the same page there. I'm fascinated to see, though, how the rest of this offseason plays out. The fourth line, left-handed defenseman for that top pair, probably need, even if they keep everything else kind of as is, one more top nine forward, I would think. Um, and if not, definitely going to have to figure out that fourth line. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, there's a trend that is taking place right now in the, fi- the conference finals that I'm wondering if it's a one-off or if this is going to be something that we see moving forward and if so what does it mean for the blues we'll get into that coming up at 12 30 but next let's play a game of believe it or not 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for believe it or not here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn look at what's happened to me i can't believe Taking a moment of silence for Tanner today. Tanner's voice needs a moment of silence. My voice. Puberty's not treating him really well this year. Should make this very clear. Whoa! Sorry, we had to get rid of the bed. Tanner has tested himself for COVID. He is COVID-free. Hashtag, hell yeah. <laughs> Is that the hashtag? Unfortunately. That's about it. It's also right. going through puberty right now or he feels like <laughs> crap. We're not really sure which one's taking place. Could be either. <laughs> so that's why he didn't sing there alongside Alex Ferrario and our buddy, hear it. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Starting to feel it in my throat a little bit. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I got a little itch in my throat, so I don't appreciate you coming in with that. (sighs) Tanner's getting all of us sick right now. It's wonderful. Let's play a game of Believe It or Not as we celebrate here. Hope you're happy with your commitment to work. I am. Got my tea here. It's going great. Guys, believe it or not, Albert Pujols will finish the year with 700 career home runs. Right now, Albert Pujols is at 683, so he needs 17 17 more. more. I beat you to it. I said it faster. Uh, um, he had 17 all of last season. 12 with the Dodgers, though, in his final 85 games. So it's been done before. Has it? They say it couldn't be done. Um, hell, I want to live longer, especially with T-Bone being sick. I don't want to get sick. So I'm going to say Albert Pools is going to get there. I'll believe it. You know he's going to have one of those moments where he goes on a month tear where he hits eight or nine of them and then it's going to bring you closer it's going to come down to he's going to need two of them in the final month of the regular season and he'll get it i'm not going to believe it i i just don't think he's got i don't think he's going to have the pace to get there I, I, he's got what is it now three home runs is that what you said four four yeah come on man 
Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't, I, I don't think he can get to 700. Why do you hate Albert Pools? I don't. Maybe he should be back next year. And then maybe get whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe. Let's, let's relax. Trying to take more at-bats away from your boy yeah. Juan Yepes? Maybe no, you need to go root for the Baltimore Albert, Orioles. Albert hits lefty still really well. Yeah, he does. So, there we go. He, I think the problem is he just... If, if it was reversed and he hit righties really well, I would say he's definitely going to get to the 17. Because he just don't see enough lefties, honestly. Like the the amount of at bats that he's going to need to be able to get there, I think it's going to be really hard to to be able to get all of those at bats, especially with Juan Yepes now being that guy. And and on top of that, you've got other players that are potentially going to fit into this mix as well at the DH. So I just don't think it's going to happen for him and, this year. And to that point, the Cardinals have seen the second fewest amount of left-handed starting pitchers in baseball. Now, some of that could be the schedule working their way. Also, I think teams are realizing, that, hey, it's pitcher male practice to throw a lefty against this team. Believe it or not, Matt Carpenter has more home runs in our pools by the end of the season. He just hit another one. Did he really? Yeah. Lead off home run for the Yankees. What is, is that? Two? It's three. It's three, three now? He's going to have God. more home runs in our pools Dude, by the end of the season. honestly, good for him. Mo. I'm really happy we'll for It's the mustache, Carpenter. man. It's the power of the mustachio. Honestly true. I, I'm actually going to say yes. I don't know. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to believe this. I think it really depends if New York keeps him or not. I mean, there's no reason not to right now. Six games. He's in the perfect ballpark. And that's why I think it's possible. If he stays with New York and this isn't just a, hey, we're going to keep you for a couple of weeks and we'll see kind of how this thing goes. Are there people injured? Is that why they have him? Yeah, they're dealing with injuries and they needed a bat from the left side. Okay, so that's what it was then. So yeah, and he's still batting 155. Oh yeah, he's boom or bust with with Matt Carpenter. He has two hits coming into today, both of which were home runs. Today he's got another hit. It's a home run. Pulling Joey Gallo numbers right now. Yes, it's the mustache. It works in New York. If he goes elsewhere, I don't think it will. So I'm gonna say no because I don't think he finishes the year with the Yankees. I think this will be. A brief period of time. He's showing Major League Baseball teams that he's still got something left into the tank. I think somebody else will sign him. If he ended up in, like, Colorado, though, I could see him maybe having some success out there as well. So I, I just think it depends where he ends up. I'm going to say that I'm not believing this. I think it will end up being Albert that has more. You and I just shave our faces and keep the mustaches. I bet the show becomes I better. I do a mustache. Why? It's not thick enough. Me neither. Well, we know you... You can't grow facial hair. Looks Come like on, a buddy. looks like I just have like chocolate milk on my face. Yeah, it's kind of embarrassing. Coach once asked you about that, right? Yeah. Was that the chick magnet? No, no, no. Chick magnet was clean shaved. That checks out. Six five seven eight zero is the air cover service text line for believe it or not, guys. Believe it or not, both Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo will get long term extensions from the Blues this off season. Not gonna believe this. I can see one of them getting a long term extension. I, I think th- Robert I think Thomas. It's Robert will. Thomas. I think Jordan Cairo. I think Jordan Cairo's got a couple of areas of his game to work on before they give him that long-term extension. But in all reality, I can also see Doug Armstrong doing with those guys what he has done in the past, where this next contract will be a four-year contract for maybe, I don't know, $20 million or something like that. And then the next one will be that big contract for them. He might do another bridge contract. So I could see both happening, but if they're going to give out one, I think it's going to go to Robert Thomas. I don't think both are going to get those because they still got to figure out what to do with Ryan O'Reilly. I think they would do one. Which, <laughs> what'd you say there? Not believe it. I think it's going to be one. I think it's going to be they give one potentially to Thomas. That was, I, I think that was like puberty going the other way. <laughs> I know. I think Jordan Cairo is <laughs> going to be a guy that's viewed oh, as, a trade, oh. as trade bait. Could you see them giving... 
a Clayton Keller type of contract to Robert Thomas. Eight years, $57 million. That's seven, a little more than $7 million per year. No, I don't think so. I don't, I think the most he'll do for a player like that would be six. six. But a, a little more than seven mil per year probably is what you're looking at. Probably not. I think that might be too much. Really? Yeah, I think Doug Armstrong, I think the most he'll go with a Robert Thomas would be six. I don't think Thomas signs anything that's less than that. I, I think, think he, he does should, if it's frankly. a short-term contract. Yeah. I, I, if it, I, I just don't see him giving out an eight-year deal to Robert Thomas yet. Or Jordan Kyra. I think, it, but six, though. Like, going down your path, let's say it's a six-year deal. Robert Thomas is, what, 23 years old? 24 20, years old? Two, I believe. I think he's the same 22. age as me. I mean, Kyra's a year older. Yeah, give you could give that guy a six-year deal. I also wonder if he goes to him and say, look, we're going to give you a, a four-year deal, $20 million, and then that next contract for you is going to be your big contract because you're probably looking at him being the captain of the team after that next and, contract. And to that point, then it allows you to figure out Ryan O'Reilly next year. Yeah. And then you figure f- out Vladimir Tarasenko. Closer, closer to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So Franco, Krug, Falk. In favor of getting it on the front end, though. I think you could get him cheaper front end rather than the back end yeah I, I, well like so let's put it this way if you give him the four-year deal now and it's 20 million dollars or whatever you're getting him at five million dollars per season and then you have to sign him again at his age 26 season to a long-term deal probably taking him through what his age 32 33 year so you've got more you got more risk at the back end of that contract whereas if you sign it now for a six-year deal you're taking him up until he's 29 years old you're buying out essentially what will be those first three years of the next deal that you're really excited about having him on right in the middle of his prime, I would rather have that done now. Now, it, it just depends on how they view their their cap situation as well. If they think that it makes more sense for them to have him at $5 million right now than seven, I get that because the cap is not yet expanding the way That's that they the want other it thing to. Too, like Doug's probably looking at it as we don't know what this cap is going to skyrocket. Sure. So what we have now in finances might be different in four years from now. So if I'm you... Let's let's re-talk contract after four years and see where we're at, where there's there's possibly more money to hand out. And again, you might be talking about Robert Thomas being a captain by that time. That's fair. And if you become a captain, there's going to be more money tied to a contract. 65780 is the air covered service tax line. Believe it or not, the Cardinals will wait, make one significant move before the trade deadline that we all view as a surprise. Before the trade deadline, a significant move? I'm not going to believe that. I don't I, I just don't know if they're gonna make a move. Like because I don't see them being aggressive, especially for the way that they're playing now, prior to the trade deadline, especially when you get all the guys back, because we all know in sports it's like making a trade when you get injured guys back. And then once you hit the trade deadline, Cardinals are notorious not for overbidding the guys at the trade deadline. So I'm gonna say I'm not gonna believe this. I'm not gonna believe this as well. I, I think they'll make a move. I don't think it's gonna be like this big move where it's like, holy belief, they just acquired Aaron Nola from the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't think it's gonna be that. I, if you were to ask me today oh, what I think their move's gonna be, I think they go get a decent bullpen arm to add to the bullpen mix. No, I want Aaron Nola. I mean, you can never have enough relievers. It's like money. You can just never have enough. So I, I think they'll go get a reliever at this point. Money was the way that. that yeah, worked. I think yeah. their plans for the deadline entirely rely on what Jack Flaherty and Tyler O'Neill become. If Tyler O'Neill is what he even close to what he was last year at the plate, and if Jack Flaherty can be doesn't have to be an ace, a legit number two starter where he's consistently giving you six innings, he has like a sub three five ish ERA. 
if those guys come back and can contribute in those ways, they basically give you what you would want in whatever that trade deadline piece is. That would be the wow factor for your lineup and for your rotation. And that's when I think it does make a lot of sense for them to potentially go out there and acquire somebody that can give them high leverage innings at the back end of their pen. Because right now, like, basically what I'm saying is find somebody that can replace those Nick Whitgren innings. If you can do that and push Whitgren down into like the bridge innings of the fifth or the sixth, that's when you feel really good about this kind of a bullpen. The, the tough part for the Cardinals is they're going to run right to the deadline, basically with Jack Flaherty, and yep. I don't think they're going to know what they have in him by the time we get to the deadline. Because Sounds I don't like expect him to be Nola. back until after probably July-ish. the All-Star break. Uh, see, I, would, I wouldn't be shocked if he's if after he's the All-Star break. He's going to be going on a rehab assignment in the next couple of weeks. I think by 4th of July, you could be talking Maybe about a making after. a start. If you, can't, if you don't know within three or four yeah. starts at, when he returns what you have in him, then that shows you you're probably going to need a starter yeah. in my that's, mind. And that's, gonna, that's where I think they're going to run into is they're going to come back and they're going to say, oh, we got Jack Flurry back. He'll get back to himself. But then you'll you see know three, that in the rehab assignment, I'm not sure. Though. No, you, I don't think you you'll learn know, anything from a rehab know, assignment. But you're going to know if he's healthy and gets through him. Like, if he's healthy and he's getting through about, starts. I'm not concerned about him being healthy and getting th- through starts on the rehab assignment. I want to see what his command looks like when he gets back here to the big league level and what his stuff looks like. I'm not as concerned about that. And that's why I fear it's... that they'll react and they'll say, oh, well, he's been out for so long and it's been three starts. We just don't know what we have yet. We'll keep him. He's just as good as acquiring So someone. the trade deadline is August 2nd this year. If I'll he never comes, remember that Manford. Come on, I know. If, I want to say July thirty first. I know you said it all of last year. <laughs> trust me, buddy. Um, if he comes back, let's say it's like July eighth against Philadelphia, something like that. So you're about a month away from that right now, which gives him a decent amount of time. Right now, he's facing live batters, and it sounds like he's getting closer to going down. And it's going to take a while. He's going to probably make what four or five starts down <laughs> yeah. in the minors for his rehab to be able to build back up. Maybe even more than that. So in that mid-July section, you can probably make two two starts ish before you get to the all or, or before you get to the All Star break, and then he could make another two before you get to the trade deadline. If you don't know in four starts what he can be for you, you need to go out there and get an arm. That that's kind of where I'm at with Jack and whether or not you're going to be able to build around him going into the second half of the season. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Alex wants to have an honest conversation about Colton Pareko, and there's no better place to do so than with Alex Ferrari, who called him one of the best defensemen in the NHL. Son of a... Coming up next, though, is this a trend or a one-off for the NHL? We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie and Tanner Hendrickson. We'll dive into the junk drawer coming up here in about 10 minutes. But right now, are we seeing a one off or is this a trend that we're going to see over the next few years in the NHL? Alex, what we're watching right now are in the Western Conference, two teams that have superhero type of players. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, arguably two of the what, 10 best players in the NHL right now. Certainly two of the 10 most productive <laughs> players in the league. I'd argue two of the five best. Fair enough. I was being conservative. <laughs> Meanwhile, Miko Rantanen and uh, Nathan McKinnon combined this year for almost 200 points. 
pretty darn good. Two of the 20 most productive players in the NHL as well. So that's what you've got on one side of the bracket. On the other side, you have Igor Shosurkin, who was the best NHL goaltender this season in terms of his save percentage. Tell that to Charlie Lindgren. And Andre Vasilevsky, who has been the best goaltender in the world now for about a five-year stretch. These teams have these this one individual piece that is just on a different level from everybody else. In the East, it's the goaltending. In the West, it's those top two players, the goal production that they've got from them. Is that something that you think the Blues need to be looking at and saying, okay, how do we build that one area of our game that is at a 99th percentile level? Or is this a one-off where it just happened to be this year that these are the teams that remain? I think it's a one-off. I just, I think this is just how the playoffs went this year. I mean, Look, it's not just superstars or two of them for Colorado. They've got Kale McCarr. They've got Nazem Kadri, who had an 80-point season. They've got good players on that side. And and to Tampa Bay's perspective of it, I I think this is just the year where superstars flourished in games. And if you look at the guys who've produced the most, I mean, Tampa's had Steven Stamkos put on an unreal postseason. Uh, The New York Rangers have had Zabinijad and Kreider putting on a great uh, postseason. And we all know with Colorado and, um, and on the flip side of this thing. So I I think it's a one-off and I'll stick to what I've said in the past. I think the Colorado avalanche are probably talking about another second round exit. If, if the blues still had Colt, uh, Jordan Bennington and Tory Krug in the lineup. I, I think when it comes to when it comes to it, pack mentality usually flourishes in the playoffs. It does well in the regular season, but if health can be on your side, it does even better in the playoffs. And the Blues just didn't have that this year. I'm starting to wonder if that's true, though. I'm starting to wonder if what the one-off was was the Blues in 2019. And even them, you could say their quote-unquote superpower was their defense, their goal suppression. Well, they had, and Jordan Bennington, I mean, he was the superstar. Absolutely. They had one of the best goalies in the league at that point in time. And they had just this unbelievable defensive core that made it so difficult for opposing teams to be able to get high-quality shots on net. So you combine those two things, and then, of course, you have a great defensive uh, forward unit as well. Like, Yeah, that that's how you win at that level but you go back over it's almost been a decade now when you include this year's playoffs and somebody's going to have one of those high level things that they're going to be able to point to the Chicago Blackhawks had just this unbelievable firepower at the front of their unit the Pittsburgh Penguins of course had the best player in the world at that point in time when they won the back-to-back the Washington Capitals same thing one of the five best players in the world at that point in time Then you've got the Blues in 2019. Over the last couple of years, you've got the Lightning, who have the best goalie in the world right now. I don't know, man. I'm starting to wonder if there is something to this and if the game has changed a bit where it's the regular season. My big question that I've got about the Blues right now is, was the depth of scoring something that we look back at and five years from now, we see it the same way that for NBA fans out there, you look at those early 2000s-ish Atlanta Hawks teams where you had Al Horford and Kyle Korver and Paul Millsap, and they were really, really good in the regular season. And then you got into the playoffs and you knew they were going to go up against LeBron James and they were going to lose. And it was the same thing for a couple of years there with the Denver Nuggets, where they had a really, really good regular season at times. I think they had the best record in the NBA uh, for a regular season one year. And then they get into the playoffs and you know, okay, they don't have that superstar level talent. They're going to lose sooner than the Western Conference Finals. 
I think the Blues are better than those teams. Like they're they're just on a different tier because they do have some of those high end talent players as well, including Ryan O'Reilly. But it is something that as we go into the offseason, I do wonder, and this goes into the Matthew Kachuk conversation, do you need that one thing that you can point to where you can say going into the season, this is our trump card. This is how we beat all of those other teams in the Western Conference. Yeah, and it's a goaltender. I don't think it's a it's a forward. I don't think it's a defenseman. I think that becomes the, the pack mentality. It all comes down to who has the better goaltending. Go back for the last 15 years of Stanley Cup champions. You're not looking at a team that won the Stanley Cup and saying, man, the goaltender wasn't that great. Goaltender was superb. That's how they got there. Now, teams can get passed around with bad goaltending. I mean, Pittsburgh nearly did it with Louis Domingue in between the pipes. Colorado might do it with Darcy Kemper, who right now in the playoffs is the worst goaltender. And I'm saying that with Mike Smith's play. I, I'm not willing to go there. I would I say Mike Smith is Yeah, you're worse. right. Mike Smith's pretty bad. But, like, think about that. you got two guys who are – it's going to come down to great goaltending. I don't really care who comes out of the West because, for me, watching last night between Tampa and New York – they're going to be the champion in the Stanley Cup championship because it always comes back to goaltending. The Washington Capitals had an unreal season from Braden Holtby when Pittsburgh was going on their run. They had Marc-Andre Fleury. They had Matt Murray playing at an unreal level. I mean, go back even before that when Cam Ward was winning with the Carolina Hurricanes or uh, Nikolai Habibulin was winning it for the Tampa Bay Lightning. You've got to have goaltending that that puts themselves in the spotlight of the NHL and that's what Jordan Bidding did in 2019 so you could do whatever you want on the forward position you could get the superstars but it all comes back to your goaltending because again I don't think Colorado's getting out of the second round if Jordan Bennington is there. And that's saying a Nathan McKinnon and a Kale McCarr and a Miko Rantanen and a Nazem Kadri and a Gabriel Landeskog, all of that doesn't matter. Tampa Bay got bounced in the first round a few years ago to Carolina because their goaltending was better. So I, I tend to agree with you. Like go, That's why every year it, the, the cliche is if you get a hot goalie, you're the team that could potentially win a Stanley Cup championship. Like I understand all of that, and I'm with you on it. But – like you can't build a team that way where it's just like, okay, we're going to figure this thing out in front of the goalie and hope that Jordan Bennington is, is awesome in the playoffs. Like, of course you're going to need that. That is a prerequisite to win the Stanley cup title, but also like as much as we can point to the goalies in the Eastern conference. And that is what sets them up on a different level. Like you mentioned it, you look at what they have on the front end as well. Those guys have superstar talents on the front end. Like you look at what Tampa has. They've got a superstar defenseman and a couple of top lines that are as good as you're going to find in the NHL. Same thing is true of the Rangers. Like you look at what they've got on their top lines right now. They had what? Uh, at least one 40 goal scorer. I do believe yeah, this Chris year. Kreider. That is not something that the Blues had. And so I do wonder, do you need that? Do, do you need that superstar talent now more than ever to be able to get through the playoffs? I don't know. It's it's just something that as I'm watching these, it is hard for me not to wonder, is that the missing piece that the Blues are looking for right now? I don't know if it's a superstar, but you need somebody who could take their game to the next level. And I think we saw that this season with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. The yeah. problem is they just ran out of gas. Like Chris Kreider has had a great playoffs. But there are games where he goes silent and you're not even talking about it because Andrew Kopp is scoring goals or Artemi Panarin is scoring goals. Or look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. They lose Braden Point 
in the, what was it, the first round? He didn't even play for them in the second round. But Kucherov so far has 15 points in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> your superstars show up, but you have guys who, who take their game to the next level and step up when your superstar guys don't show up. Look at Colorado. They didn't have Nathan McKinnon scoring any goals. It was T, uh, JT Comfer and it was uh, Josh Manson that were scoring the goals. You know your guys will show up at some point in the playoffs. But you have to find a way to get to that point. And that's where I always go back to the pack mentality. Because at some point, I don't know when it's going to happen. Frankly, it might not happen. But for me, the Connor McDavid's are going to disappear at some point in a playoff series. Maybe it's going to be in the Stanley Cup final. Heck, in the last couple of years when they've gotten into the first round and gotten bounced, Connor McDavid can't do it all. You've got to have more guys who can step up to the race. And that's why I think it benefits the Blues. I, I think so, too. And I, our text line is very upset with me right now. Well, BK, it, but, are you serious? This is the dumbest segment ever. No, I might not be understanding it correctly, BK, though. BK, it's this. been the same formula in the playoffs forever, and now it's changed. No, I, I, I don't think that's really what I'm getting at. I do think hockey has changed over the last five years or so. Like, I think the the formula to build a winner in some ways has changed. I think that what I'm getting at is this. The Blues won in 2019 without a superstar. They, if they had a superstar, it was Jordan Bennington at that point in time. I, I love Ryan O'Reilly. I think he's awesome. He's not at the same level as some of these guys in terms of how they are thought of in the NHL nationally. Right, wrong, or indifferent, he is not at the same level as a Sidney Crosby or um, some of the guys that they had out in Chicago, like an Evander Kane. Like these, these guys are just Patrick Kane, rather, is at a different level nationally and how they are viewed in the NHL. Is that the trend and the Blues were the one-off? That's my big question. And if it is the trend, if you do need that superstar talent now to win in the NHL, I think the way you can get back to that is with adding Matthew Kachuk this offseason. He is the piece that makes all of the sense in the world for a million different reasons. And also, as I look around the league right now and the the teams that are still playing, that's the piece that you are missing that they all seem to have. It, when you're substituting a star for a star, because if you're getting a Matthew Kachuk, you're probably losing a Vladimir Tarasenko. And you might be substituting a star for a superstar. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, I, got you I there. think Matthew Kachuk is on a slightly different level right now but when than I, Vladimir Tarasenko. When the Blues won the Stanley Cup, I think Vladimir Tarasenko was a superstar in a lot of people's eyes for what he was doing that season. Maybe that's it. Yeah. And so maybe I think what you're doing there is you're you're substituting a superstar or you're substituting a star who has superstar potential for a guy who has shown that he is a superstar. That that's, might be the way to go about it. But that's again, my big question. You can't win it with just one guy. Like Matthew Kachuk is not Agreed. going to be the reason you win that Stanley Cup. Agreed. You you cannot you have to have a full team. This is like that's why I think it's a conversation for the Blues whereas like the Detroit Red Wings, they're just not even into this conversation right now. They're into trying to build a team first. They've got to figure that all out, and then we'll get to, okay, how do we take that next step to become a Stanley Cup contender? The Blues are a contender now. Yeah. We just saw that. What is missing? And I think what is missing to take them to the level where these final four teams are is acquiring that superstar player. I also think these teams that have the superstar quality have pounced on on other teams with everything that's gone on, a 56-game schedule last year, a, a Titan schedule this year, I think those teams have just been able to pounce on other teams that haven't been able to figure out an 82-game schedule once again. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, are we finally about to see Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt get hot at the same time? We'll talk about that coming up in about 15 minutes. The Junk Drawer is coming up next. 
We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, how far away is your wife from giving birth at this point? Uh, put me on the spot here. A real jerk move. About a month and a half. July 30th is when she's due. So when she is due, I would recommend not going out to the beach as this woman did. Josie. I'm going to attempt to pronounce her last cats. name. Close. Uh, Great band. Pukert. She what? posted on her official Instagram account. With more than 200,000 views at this point. You God, please tell me it wasn't a live video. Her giving video on the beach. Oh, no. (laughs) In the water. Why? According to a story in the New York Post, the 27-year-old's, quote, unconventional water birth has resulted in comments alternatively hailing her as, quote, empowering and also saying that she endangered her child. Yeah, that's what I was worried about because you're doing that in salt water. She said that she felt free in doing so. Uh, the baby is alive and well. Seems to be everything is going A-OK. Uh, thank wouldn't God like, for that. Wouldn't salt get into where it's not supposed to? I've got burn. some questions about the sand as well. Burn. Um, well. She was in the water, though. She wasn't on the beach, was she? No, she was. She was on both. Like she was in the very shallow the water on mean? the beach. She was both. Well, the beach goes into the water. I don't. What are you asking me? <laughs> Did you say the I beach know, goes the into beach the water? Goes into the water. Are you asking like was she like up on so, the sand? Yeah. Was she like up like? No, she was in the so very was, shallow end so, of the water. So she, I consider that to be the beach. Do you guys not? Well, like, you don't go to the beach, so I don't know what you really <laughs> consider as the beach. Hey. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. All, all I know is like. That doesn't seem normal. No, no, it doesn't seem great. But Tanner, I told you that I had this story, and you said I've got one that can one up that. Okay, buddy, can't what do you one got up for birth us? in salt water, oh, man? Yeah, I can. How about having birth while you're at a rock concert, while you're watching uh, Metallica perform? That makes more sense. The oh, vibration no, is easy. I can't imagine going to that concert being that pregnant. I wonder. I wonder if she like had the baby prematurely. I think yeah. Because like you ain't going to a you ain't going yeah. to a Metallica concert. At, Thirty-nine weeks pregnant okay. when oh, she no, went to she, the concert. That wasn't premature. She was having that baby. That was that was two term. Wow, yeah, yeah. That's because Katie Katie's expecting to have the baby around like thirty-seven because she's got gestational diabetes. That is bold. Thirty-nine is like about to pop. So she just said, "F it, I'm going to a Metallica what did, what concert." What did you say the name of your one is? Because I swear it's like the same name here. Josie Pukert. How do you oh spell God, Josie? J O S Y. See, mine is. I think Joyce, J-O-I-C-E. I was going to say, did Josie go to a rock concert <laughs> and have a Brazil. baby and then a year later had another one yeah. on the beach? This one was in Brazil. She's a tattoo artist. And she went and she said while she was giving birth, Metallica did the nice thing and played in her Sandman. Did they name the baby Sandman then? Yeah, does it say what the name of the baby is? Yeah. you got to name it after a yeah. Metallica song at that point. Well, it's got to be Sandman because the baby entered to Sandman. Uh, Come on, man. Does not say the name of the kid. I just, that'd be the way to go because all of the, 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 the vibrations in the concert would probably help 
the individual have birth. I would imagine that's probably what forgets uh, about your con- what led to it. Forgets about your contractions while you're listening to Enter Sandman. You gonna do that while you're? No, 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 no. God, no. What do you do? You have like a theme, theme song? A that ain't right. theme? Yeah. Do you play a song while she's? Yeah, I birth? play Highway to the Danger Zone while she's delivering. Do you guys play the music on her belly? No, that's a thing that some people. Would I do. mean, we we so with Adelaide, we played music in the car, and she would kick to certain songs. Yeah. But like we like in the delivery room, we didn't because, I mean, to be honest with you, we had been in there for nine hours, and I think Katie was just done with it by that point. <laughs> Touche. So that's fair. no no theme. There's no celebration at the the. the you don't play a celebration song when no. the. <laughs> No, I told you, we play Highway to the Danger Zone in honor of Top Gun. Uh, 15 minutes or so. Have you seen that yet? I've heard great things. Everybody said it was really good. I've heard great things. Apparently, he said Tom Cruise is coming out with multiple more Mission Impossible movies. What are we doing here, Tom? Release another trailer for a new one. Moment of Honesty? I saw Top Gun for the first time two weeks ago. I've still never seen the original. It was so excellent. I've been on this. I've been on a Tom Cruise kick of late. Hey, Skip the Mummy because it wasn't good. Uh, saw a few good men. What a what a fantastic! You watched movie. Jerry Maguire. Watched that. Okay. I had seen it before. Okay. My wife had not. She, she enjoyed Rain the hell out of it. You watched Rain Man. I've not. That is That's next. That is one that is coming up on our list. I also saw a movie that I honestly didn't really know a whole lot about. The Firm with oh, yeah. Tom Cruise. It's excellent. Absolutely phenomenal. So uh, Tom right. Cruise, good actor. Turns you should up. Uh, check out. I think it's Day After Tomorrow. It's like a I, sci-fi. I know, buddy. I know. Is, that the, is that the one about the robots? Yeah. yeah. Coming That's up in about movie. 15 minutes or so, <laughs> we'll get to the Blues 2022 season superlatives. Looking back on the season that was. But next, are we finally going to see Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt get hot at the same time? It's something we really haven't seen from them in St. Louis. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Aranato hits it out to deep left field. And Nolan Arenado, a three-hit day. He's driven in three. The Cardinals up by three. It's 4-1. Yeah, it's June. It's a new month. So uh, that was a good day for him. Um, It's good to see him out there smiling. And uh, that homer was big. That extra run at the end there was, uh, was a good at bat as well. We've been waiting for Nolan Arenado to get hot again. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Those uh, highlights courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, last year, we just never really saw it. In the first month of the season, you saw Paul Goldschmidt really cold. And then in the second month, May last year, Goldie was okay. He was around a 775 OPS. And that's when it was just uh, guns ablazing for Nolan Arenado. A 1,000 OPS in the month of May. Then Arnado's kind of cooled off a 240 batting average, 780 on uh, OPS for June and July. That is when it started to heat up a little bit more for Paul Goldschmidt. You get into August, it cools down again for Nolan Arenado, 710 OPS. And you have Goldie going on fire at that point, a 1000 OPS. The closest thing we've seen so far 
to both of them being hot at the same time was last September. Goldie at that point had an 1100 OPS. He hit 330 in the month of September. Arenado, I wouldn't say he was hot, but he was hitting for power. And that's when, of course, the Cardinals went on their run. And so that's why I'm wondering, coming off of yesterday's game, where it looked like Nolan Arenado might have found his form once again. And we know Goldie is just completely locked in right now. He's on a historically great uh, stretch. What does it mean for the Cardinals? If we finally get to see Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado get hot at the same time together, by the way, schedule should help them out. Chicago for five games. You do have Tampa Bay coming up, but then Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, Boston, who is just a dumpster fire in the bullpen right now. And then you will have Chicago and Philadelphia later on this month as well. I hope that's the case. I really do. Um, I, I, the way that Nolan Arenado talked on Bally Sports yesterday after that game sounded like a guy who who recognized, like, okay, now I'm out of this slump that I'm in. And rightfully so when you have a, what was it, a three-run home run that he picked up in a big-time moment for that the, for the Cardinals. So to have those two hitting at the same time, I think is going to benefit them in terms of running away with this NL Central because we've talked ad nauseum of Milwaukee losing some impactful players and going through the injury bug right now and having a tough schedule. To have those two guys playing at an MVP level at the same time when you're going through Chicago and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, this might be the opportunity for the Cardinals to really start running away with it and center position of it all is going to be Goldschmidt and Arenado. I hope that's the case because that that's going to be exciting baseball to watch. Yeah, if Goldie and Arnado are hitting at the same level in this month, and they're both hot, this Cardinals team will take over the NL Central. I mean, I'm, I'm fully, I would almost guarantee that because you look at the Brewers, they're dealing with their pitching issues. They've got a much tougher schedule this month. You brought up the Cardinals schedule. They should take advantage of that. And we saw last year in that September stretch when the Cardinals were playing the bad teams, Goldie and uh, Nolan Arnado we're making sure that those teams paid for pitching to them. And the other thing with these two, if they are hot at the same time, it even makes things easier for Nolan Gorman when he's hitting in front of them. It makes things easier for Tommy Evan or Tommy or Tommy Evan or Brendan Donovan, those two guys whenever they're at the top of the order, because they're going to see more pitches because teams don't want to see Goldie or Arnado come up with runners on base. So mm-hmm. the, it's going to benefit the guys that are in front of them, whether that be Gorman and Edmund or Edmund and Donovan, it's going to benefit those guys a ton too. And, and I think it's going to benefit Tyler O'Neill as soon as he gets back yeah. in the lineup because he's not sitting here. The focus doesn't go back to an MVP. You're talking about two guys who are playing at that le- that level and Tyler can go about his business. Nolan Arenado, by the way, we have a text from the uh, 314. So you get one good game by Nolan Arenado, and now all of a sudden he's hot. What are we talking about yeah. here? Well, come on, man. Chill out. Nolan Arenado in his last 13 games. So let me let me phrase it this way, actually. In his last two games, he has five hits. Nolan Arenado does in his last two. In his previous 13, he had six. Is he hot right now? Maybe not. But he's certainly not as cold as he was there for a pretty significant stretch. That was about as cold as we've seen Nolan Arenado so far in a Cardinals uniform. And over his last couple of games, you're starting to see the timing come back. Danny Mack has mentioned this on the broadcast the last few days. Arenado realized he was not letting the ball get in deep enough. And so what he was doing a couple of games ago was just allowing the ball to get as deep as possible. And if that meant he was a little bit late, he was okay with that because he's trying to get the timing back. He's trying 
trying to make sure that he's back to form. Well, over the last couple of days, we've started to see some of the results from that. Will it last? I don't know. We'll see. But the pitching should ease up a little bit. They just went through a gauntlet of some pitching that is at a really high level over the last three series against Toronto, Milwaukee, and San Diego. Now that eases up while he seems to be getting some of his timing back. So if, if, he is on the front end of what could be a hot streak. And we've seen this before with Arenado where he just goes on a heater for a month. That completely changes the complexion of this lineup. It is already performing at a higher level than I think a lot of us uh, like to believe. They're top 10 in most offensive statistical categories thus far. I think they could finish the, the month of June in the top five. If they keep this up from both of those guys, if Arenado's hot and Goldschmidt, Maybe he doesn't continue this on-base slash hit streak over the the stretch of oh, the no, next he will. month. But he's going He'll for four hundred. He's again. going for Dimaggio. If he ends up staying hot this month, and you get Arenado added to that, and Brendan Donovan continues hitting the way he has, and you've got Tommy Edmond who has quietly had a really good month as well, man, this could be a top five offense by the end of the month of June. That's crazy. That is crazy to think about. And I'm not talking about in the National League. I'm talking about in all of baseball. And, and still don't have Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson in your lineup. Absolutely. So that's that's what this means. And that's what I expect them to be able to do. And this brings us to the next conversation that I wanted to have with you, Alex. Have the Cardinals had a little bit of a switch here? In the same way that the Blues did in this last season, where they went from being a team that won with their defense, they won with goal suppression, to, holy cow, you're going into the playoffs and you've got nine 20-goal scores. They were an offensive-driven team by the time we got to the playoffs. The Blues were. Do you think that we're seeing something similar with the Cardinals where last year it was all about the defense? A couple of years ago, it was all about the pitching. Are we starting to see them become more of an offensive-driven squad this season? I think there's a little bit more emphasis on the offense, but I don't think that's going to be the narrative of this team by the end of the year. I, I think... I think the defense has been fine, and I think the defense will get back to the level that we all expect it to be at once Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson are healthy, and that's with Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman playing shortstop in second base. I think the emphasis right now is on offense because you have so many guys who are red hot from the plate with Donovan and Yepes and now with Arenado and Goldschmidt. But, I mean, let's look at the last couple of games. Harrison Bader has made a couple of plays that have saved you. Lars Newtbar with a throw from left field. Brennan Donovan has made a couple of big saves. And you still have the gold glove at the corners on the infield. So I think the emphasis is on this team is a really good offense, but defense is still going to be the narrative surrounding this team also. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I think defense is going to be the narrative that surrounds them. But if you just want to go pitching and offense, I think the mindset has shifted more to a offensive-minded team. And the reason for that is because... You mentioned it, the defense. Look, the Cardinals have good pitchers. I think Miles Michaelis is a good pitcher. Wainwright, definitely a good pitcher. Uh, Steven Matz is good when he's healthy. Dakota Hudson, good when he's got his location. We'll see about Libertor and all them. But they benefit from having this defense behind them because they pitch to contact. They're not the big, sexy strikeout uh, rotation. So with that being said, I look at it as, okay, look, they've got good pitching. They get a good benefit from the defense as well. And that's not a shot against the pitching. It's just true. With the gold glovers that you have, that defense saves a lot of runs that the normal teams don't get. That's why a John Lester, a Jay Happ, and a Wade LeBlanc were so successful last year here in St. Louis. So with that being said, to me, the mindset does shift towards offense. They've they've spent time developing some of these offensive bats. The Nolan Gorman with the power in his bat. You've got Tyler O'Neill. Sure, he wasn't drafted by the Cardinals, but he was developed by them as the all-around package player. Dylan Carlson, he's got some pop. He's an all-around good hitter. Harrison Bader, he's got some pop as well. So I think offensive pitching... They've gone more towards the offense in terms of their identity. Overall, though, 
Their identity definitely surrounded by their defense. Yeah, somebody from the 636 says the defense is still the best in the majors. I actually don't I don't believe that to be the case right now. Uh with the way that your outfield is playing. Now yeah. this is some of this is injuries related. Like Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, the, the gap between them to what you have right now in the outfield is just it, it's massive. But if you put those two guys back in the lineup, I would I would argue that it's still probably top I don't think three. you can be the best defense in baseball right now with Nolan Gorman playing second base every day. It, it, Gorman just it, listen, he has been playable he has been passable defensively but he has what five or six errors already he hasn't been up for very long man he's he's had quite a few errors already at second base and if you have that guy out there that's the difference between the defense this year and last last year he had borderline gold gloves at every single position this year you've got one place where it is a clear clear negative for you defensively regardless of that i still think they'll be top three top five defense in in all of major league baseball when you put o'neill and carlson back in the lineup i think that's probably true last year they were just so far and away the best and that's fine you don't have to have the best defense to win especially if your offense is performing like this but i still think people will be talking about the defense of the cardinals you just might be talking the same level with the offense for how they're performing. Absolutely. And that's why I do think they have shifted their mentality a little bit. When Gorman came up and started every day at second base, that's when I think they made the clear shift in, in mentality of we're going for offense here. And we'll see if that is able to sustain. Gorman's been really good at the plate thus far. And if he continues that, man, you're willing to give up that defense at second. But if it starts to slip at the plate, that's when I do think they will probably revert back to what you guys are saying where, okay, we got to get that defense first mentality again because that helps our pitching play up. And our pitching is, it's solid. It's pretty good. It's not among the best in the majors, though. And that's where that defense can come in and help them. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, it is time to have an honest conversation about Colton Pareko. And there's nobody better to do that than my guy, Alex Ferrario. But next, let's get into the Blues 2022 season superlatives. The biggest surprise, the biggest disappointment, and your MVP overall for the season. We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big pan. He's Alex Ferrario, that's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's get into the Blues 2022 season superlatives. Let's oh, start with this. Oh, yeah. Who's your season MVP for the Blues this year, Alex? Ooh. This one surprised you, huh? We didn't see this one coming? No, I didn't expect this. No, this one. Really? I threw you for a loop with the whole who was the team's best player. <laughs> I didn't expect this at all, guys. Um... Damn, you go first, man. You I'm got going somebody. Pavel Buchnevich. I wasn't gonna pick that one. That's Pavel Buchnevich played in every single scenario. There's PK, he's out there. Power play, he's out there. Five on five, one of the Blues' best players all season. Finished with 30 goals and 76 points on the year. Was third on the team in points overall. Was a plus 29, which ended up being second on the team behind only Justin Falk, who, man, good lord, he was a plus 41 on the season. Pavel Buchnevich was everything that the Blues could have asked for and then some. I know Craig Berube mentioned this yesterday on the Fastlane. He said one of the guys that he's most excited about moving forward is Buch, and it's because of what he was able to do for them in year one of this system. I'm going Pavel Buchnevich as my season MVP for the Blues. I like it. T-Bone, who you got? I think I'm going Robert Thomas. I, I, I said it yesterday. He was one of those guys all year that when someone was struggling, what did you do? You put them on their line with Robert Thomas. I mean, he finished... Uh, second with 77 points 
I, I think it's Robert Thomas. They're, in the regular season, especially, we're talking about him being the number one center. I know he had his struggles in the playoffs, but I'm, I look at him as being the MVP for this team. I'm trying to pull this up because this will back up my argument on this one. Ew, no, what are you won't. looking for, buddy? I, it, it won't. I was going to pick Justin Falk, um, and I was going to look at how the team played without him, and, well, they went on a 4-2 and two yeah. run without him. So, um, I, I think for me personally, it's Pavel Buchnevich. I, I mean, it's hard to deny that. I mean, you went out and you got somebody that you were hoping could give you more of what Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford didn't, and he did that, tripled it, basically. He gave you 30 goals, was a plus 29, as Tebow mentioned, I mean, Robert Thomas was a guy that you put people with, but I think Pavel Buchnevich was actually that guy because Buchnevich played with Barbashev and Tarasenko when they were red hot. Buchnevich played with Thomas and Kairou when they were red hot. And then look in the playoffs, they put Buchnevich with O'Reilly and Perron and they scored. So I'm going to pick Pavel Buchnevich. He was kind of everything for you this season and played 73 games. Who was the biggest surprise? for you on the season. Tanner, we'll start with you. Who's your biggest surprise of the season for the St. Louis Blues? In a positive direction. Don't say Kyle Clifford. I miss that guy. I do not. Toronto I, doesn't even. There's a lot of guys you can go with here. I, I think the number one for me is... I think I'm going to go with Vladdy. I, I did not expect this from Vladdy this one. season. I, he led the team of points with 82, 34 goals. Played 75 games. I honestly did not see this coming from Vladdy. I didn't know what to expect from him having all the multiple shoulder surgeries. Didn't know what to expect from him because he had the uh, trade request in the offseason. And he came down, came out, and he was arguably one of the best players for the Blues all season long. So I think I got to go with Vladimir Tarasenko. That's a really good one. Um, I think for me, just so I'm not doubling down on that, I think mine's going to be Nico Mikola. Because Mikola, I wasn't sure if he was a top six guy. I thought maybe he's a depth piece. And I learned after the regular season and postseason that Nico Mikola, at worst, is a top six defenseman for you. I think at best he could be a top four guy to play in some big time situations. Penalty kill was much better. Nico Mikola played a majority of time there. I think Nico Mikola gave you basically what you were expecting from Marco Scandella and frankly made him expendable. So that that was the biggest surprise for me other than Vladimir Tarasenko. Billy Huso for me is the answer to this. Uh, 9.20 save percentage in the regular season picked up where the Blues needed him to. Overall, Alex, I know you're a big team stat guy with the wins. 25, 7, and 6 overall. He got points in 31 of his 38 starts that he made for the Blues this year. Wasn't much of a team stat in the playoffs when we were talking about goalies need to win games, was it? They absolutely had to have him step up in that way to be able to get to where they were. And Ville Husso stepped up in a huge way. I'm so happy for him. I don't know that his future is going to be here in St. Louis. Not because we don't want him, but because he might have priced himself out of St. Louis. And without it, I don't think that they get to where they were. So, Billy Husso, my biggest surprise. Who was the biggest disappointment, Alex, for you in the 2022 Blues season? Um, It's kind of tough to come up yeah, with. Yeah, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you guys with this one. Clint Costin. That's a good one. Yeah. I thought Clint Costin was going to be, at worst, a fourth liner for you. I thought maybe he could get some top nine minutes. When Jake Neighbors went to juniors, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's Clint Costin's chance. And he just didn't provide there. Craig Berube, in the middle of the season, talked about how he... He really was just too unpredictable with his play for a little bit of a spurt. You felt like you found Clem Costin. He was playing with some physicality, but then he was taking penalties and he wasn't scoring a lot of goals. So I think my biggest disappointment, and frankly, I'm I'm really curious of what the plan is with him moving forward. 
Mine would be Clem Costin. Boy, that's a really good one. I think I may have to second that one because everybody that I had at the beginning of the year that I had disappointments, you know, Marco Scandella, he played really well in the second half of the year to where I couldn't say that. Uh, Nico Mikla, at times I was a little disappointed in him, but you know what? He played really well. Jordan Bennington, look, I think it's fair to say that if you want to go regular season only, but the way he played in the yeah. playoffs, I don't think you can call yeah. him a disappointment. I think it is Clem Costin. Clem Costin came up, he had every opportunity to prove that he belonged on this team. And he just he didn't do it. He basically was, as Jamie says, was handed the test with the answers, and he still wasn't successful here at the NHL level. I don't, I'm not sure what his future holds here in the Blues organization. Can I say everybody not named Torpchenko on the fourth line? Like James Neal. There were 11 uh, of them, so go for it. Clem Costin. Yeah, you know what? The real deal James Neal has got to be a disappointment for people. I really thought that guy was going to be a part of this team this Kyle season. Kyle Clifford, McKenzie McEachern, Jake yeah, Wallman, fourth liner, Dakota oh, Joshua, Logan Brown. <laughs> you can't throw a defenseman in there. What? He was a fourth line forward. <laughs> I don't care what his position is listed as. He was a forward here in St. Louis. Whoa. Tried to play as one at least. Um, Shots fired. All, all of those guys to varying degrees were disappointing to me. I thought somebody, they had so many different options. I thought they could throw numbers at the problem and eventually somebody would stick. And they got there. Like Torepchenko, if you went back to our biggest surprise this year, he could have been one of the answers. But um, I think for me, the biggest disappointment was that none of those guys really stuck on that fourth line. Can I add one more onto it? Blaise Scott Perunovic. For health reasons. Health reasons, but even when he was playing, I was expecting a little bit more offense than what we saw from him. Now, we saw we saw signs of it in the playoffs, so hopefully that's a building block for him, but there was a little bit of disappointment because I had high expectations for him this year. Who was the player who you had hope for coming into the season that now you've got some doubt about what his future holds for whatever reason? You can take this in any direction, but player who raised some doubt going into next year for you, Alex. Mine would be Brandon Sod. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, and and I can see the twenty-four I, goals didn't do it for you. No, huh? no, no. I'm, I'm adding postseason into this as well. We're not just going regular season there, but twenty-four goals. Thirteen of those twenty-four came on the power play. I, I would have liked to see a little bit more even strength numbers there from Brandon Sod. And Brandon Sod, it seems for a majority of this season, postseason included the line that he was a part of just really couldn't get offense going consistently. And I, I really thought that we were going to see a guy who was going to just be a presence in front of the net. Now, maybe the second year under Craig Bruby is a little bit different, but the, the, the contract that they signed him to, it did start to raise a little a doubt for me because I wanted to see a little bit more net front presence from Brandon Sod at even strength. I think I got to go with Jordan Cairo and I it's weird to say, cause he was finished fourth in the team in points, but I had high expectations coming into the year for Jordan Cairo. He lived up to those expectations. And then the second half was just nothing more than a roller coaster where you saw flashes of it, but then you saw where he was getting demoted to the third line. I think at one point he took a couple of shifts with the fourth line as well. You could see the inconsistencies in his game. So I think it's got to be Jordan Cairo for me. I think I'm going to go Ivan Barbashev. I was going to say it's either that or Jordan Bennington still on this list too. Yeah, I, I would go uh, Ivan Barbashev. The, now, if we didn't see the playoffs from Benner, and that goes back into the disappointment as well. If you didn't have the playoffs to show for it, mm-hmm. he would have been the biggest disappointment this year. But it's that amazing how things. like five games changed your so opinion big, on him, man. though. And when those games mean the most, uh, it's huge. Up. Ivan Barbashev in his first 38 games this year, 15 goals, 34 points. The remainder of the season, which for him was 55 games, He had zero goals and just two points in the playoffs. 
And if you go back into the regular season, it was like 13 goals and I think 23 points. He just fell off. The offense was not there the second half of the year for Barbie the way that it was in the first. And so it raises some questions to me of what his future holds here. Can you pay two and a half million dollars for that guy to be a fourth line center? Is he a center? Is he a guy who is more of the physical presence or is he an offensive contributor? I think he was basically like a baseball player that finds himself in between on his swing. It's kind of what he looked like in the playoffs, trying to figure out what his game is. How do I contribute to this team regularly? I think Barbie is a good hockey player. I think he can help your team, whether it's here in St. Louis or elsewhere. I just wonder if the best contribution that he can give to the Blues next season ends up bringing a bigger piece back here to the team. Again, this is just like the Sunquist conversation. This does not mean that I don't value what Ivan Barbashev is as a player or what he can bring. I do. I just wonder if other teams value that as well. And if that means you could get a potential top six winger, top six player for him and something else, of course, I do wonder if that's maybe the thing that you end up doing with him this offseason. Who's the guy that gave you hope about the Blues being able to extend this cup window longer than what they already had? I'll give you mine. Yeah, please. Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas this year became the player that I thought he could be. He played on a line that accentuated his skills. If you get him out there with a Robert or with a uh, Jordan Cairo or Vladimir Tarasenko, I think next year, if you get him out there with a Matthew Kachuk, guys that can be pure goal scorers, I think that's the way you get the most out of Robert Thomas. And we finally saw it this year. They finally put that together. Even if those guys next to him are a little bit of a defensive liability, he raised his game defensively this year as well. He was better on the face-offs. He was getting huge face-off moments in his own zone. Robert Thomas is the guy to me that opened up and extended that window for the Blues. Mine's Logan Brown. I knew it. Good Lord, man. T-Bone was waiting for it there. I, uh, I totally saw that coming. <laughs> because you said... Robert Thomas, that's the one that I was really leaning towards and rightfully I think he's the so. answer. Would we he, all agree with that? He is the answer in this one, but I'll, I'll throw one in there to, to make an argument with Justin Falk. Yeah. I, I think when Justin Falk was signed to that contract, a lot of people were like, man, that's going to look ugly down the stretch. And now you got a 30 year old who's playing like a number one defenseman right now. And it's hard to argue that, especially when you look at his plus minus rating, the amount of time he was playing in situations and how he played in the playoffs. I think the, the ability of what Justin Falk is doing added on to what Colton Pareko provides extends that window in my opinion because when we when the Blues lost Alex Petrangelo I think everyone was ready to pretty much write off that cup window chance and Justin Falk's play the last couple of years have extended that secondarily towards Robert Thomas yeah I totally agree that it's Robert Thomas but I got two more I'll throw out there for you guys Jordan Bennington won the fact that I could see him return back to that form a good one. while going through the regular season that he did was really encouraging for me to say you know what one, Bennington is the guy moving forward, which was a big question mark going into the playoffs. But two, that he can play at that level of 2019. And the other one for me, and I know a lot of fans aren't going to want to hear this, it's Colton Preco. I think in the second half, you saw how good Colton Preco was, and he lived up to his contract. He proved he was a number one defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. Look, I get it. He had some struggles in the playoffs. But I think if he plays like that in the second half of the regular season, where he went from a guy that was a big minus to being a plus, I think, by the end of the year, then he's a guy that can extend the cup window because he's your number one defenseman. Let's continue that conversation on the other side. God, I love you, T-Bone. What do we do with Colton Pareko? There There are some that will look at what he had, and especially game six, that final moment. I got to be honest with you guys. Last night as I was watching, uh, I think it was Kreider, 
block a shot in front of the net for the Rangers. He just he got big in front of the net and it hit off of his hand as a goal scorer and he's willing to take it all. That's what I wanted to see from Colton Pareko at the final seconds of game number six from him. And instead, he's kind of slides to the side. Let's have an honest conversation about him. What is he? What does that mean for the Blues? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. There's two different groups of people looking at him, and that's why we hear the back and forth. And so however he's playing, that's who the vocal group is at the moment. Look at the guy skating. Look at the guy uh, closing out plays. You know, this is the great Colton Pareko. But then when he doesn't do the things that everybody wants him to do, you'll hear the other uh, vocal group. So I think that's kind of where we're at with him. He has some shortcomings, no doubt, but he does a lot of good things very, very well. You know, the shortcomings might have to be picked up by guys like Justin Falk. You know, we can sit here and want and wish Colton Preco to have all those elements in his game, and I just think you're going to be waiting for a, for a career for that to happen. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Jeremy Rutherford yesterday on the show, or a couple of days ago now on the show, talking about Colton Pareko. Was it, I think it was yes. No, it was two days. It was ago. two days ago. I don't I'm, know what day I'm it is all anymore. messed up because of <laughs> Memorial Day this week. If you missed any of that conversation, I highly recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app, all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You'll find today's podcast later on this afternoon as well. Alex, I know you want to have an honest conversation about Colton Pareko. What he is, what he isn't, and what that means for the Blues moving forward. What is Colton Pareko? Well, and that's why I use that cut from Jeremy Rutherford, because I thought he explained it perfectly. The amount of text that we have gotten in and the amount of uh, tweets that I have seen over the last couple of days about how the Blues need to just trade Colton Pareko. Now's the time to do it. I just think people have to come to terms with what Colton Pareko is. And the problem is when Alex Petrangelo was allowed to walk and they brought in Justin Falk and then they brought in Tori Krug and you had Colton Pareko, there were fingers pointed at two guys. One went to Justin Falk saying, well, you were the replacement, which isn't true. The other went to Colton Pareko that said, well, you're the number one guy now. That is true. Doug Armstrong called him the alpha dog coming into the season where he took over and Alex Petrangelo left. Do you still feel that way? No. And I don't know if I ever felt that way about Colton Pareko as being the alpha dog. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation. There are two sets of people that look at Colton Pareko. One looks at him and says, well, this guy should be a number one defenseman. He should be the best defenseman on the St. Louis Blues. Can we all can we all come to reality here for a minute? Colton Pareko is not Alex Petrangelo. He is not a Victor Hedman because he was not drafted in the spots that those players were. You look around the National Hockey League and you find the the superstar number one defenseman. Those guys are all drafted in the top five. Drew Doughty, Victor Hedman, Alex Petrangelo. Now, one caveat to that is Roman Yossi. But Roman Yossi has had his ups and downs. Colton Pareko was drafted in the third round. Third round defensemen are not viewed to be number one defensemen. So it is coming to terms with what you have right here. Is Colton Pareko going to be the shutdown guy for you? Absolutely not. But what do the Blues go with with their identity? A pack mentality. The reason that Colton Pareko has a $6 million, $6.5 million contract is the same reason that Justin Falk has that contract, Tori Krug has that contract. They view defensemen as a pack mentality. And I thought JR painted it perfectly there, saying, like, whatever you're hoping that Colton Pareko has, 
That slack is picked up by Justin Falk. That's why they have those two. So Pareko is the guy that's playing this role, but Justin Falk is the guy that's fixing that spot that Colton Pareko is not adjusted at. You look around the NHL, and I would I would almost guarantee you 25 of the other 31 teams in the National Hockey League would love to have Colton Pareko on their team as a number one defenseman. Not a superstar, not an elite defenseman, but they have a number one defenseman. And you didn't see it last year because of the back issue. You didn't see it in the first portion of the season. But frankly, a lot of that is also because of, one, COVID. Two, that they were really trying to figure out who was going to play with Pareko. But from the second half of the season on into the playoffs, Colton Pareko played like a number one defenseman. Colton Pareko is 30th in the NHL among defensemen in average annual value. That means there are 29 other defensemen that make more on average than Colton Pareko. The same is true, of course, because he's got the same AAV as Justin Falk and Tory Krug. And that's pretty much how I view him. Like all of those guys, I think they're pretty solid. They're all really good. And if that ends up being all they ever are, man, that's okay. You can have, like you said, three guys that just contribute in very different ways. Tori Krug is this points producer from the blue line that you need to have, especially in today's game. He moves the puck incredibly well. He's excellent on the power play. Justin Falk has probably of the three the most reliable shot of those guys. He skates very, very well. I thought this was an excellent season and probably the type of player that Doug Armstrong expected him to be when he made that trade with Carolina to acquire Justin Falk. And Colton Pareko is big, he skates very well, and he moves the puck out of his own zone that way. What I like more from him in terms of the physicality, yes, you're just not going to get it. If you were, we would have seen it by now. And that's the reality with Pareko is I think sometimes we look at him and we see what he looks like on the ice and we say, okay, I've seen what that guy is supposed to play like because of his size. And we just put those sensibilities on to Pareko. But, it's not who he is. It doesn't mean that he's a bad player. But how often have we sat here and said, oh, yeah, look, Colton Pareko's playing nasty. That's not who he is. Yep. Chris Pronger, go back and listen to the interview that Pronger did with Randy and Michelle a few weeks ago. He said, stop trying to make him a Chris Pronger. He is not a physical player. But what he is is an asset to this Blues team. What did Craig Berube say at the end of the season in the media availability? Defense have to be fast and skilled and big. Pareko is all of those things. No longer are we talking about, oh, well, you need to have the Ben Sherratts who's going out there and punching guys in the face. You got that in Nico Mikola. You got that in Robert Bortuzzo. What you need is a guy who can get the puck out of the zone. What you need is a guy who, when the puck is on his stick, is probably one of the faster guys on the Blues roster up there with Jordan Cairo for how good of a skater Colton Pareko is. He's not going to be a guy that puts 200-plus shots on net. He's not going to be a guy who's going to be scoring 15 to 20 goals a season for you. But guess what? You've got that in Justin Falk. Justin Falk is the guy who plays physical. Justin Falk is the guy who can get you double-digit goals. What you need from Colton Pareko is the guy who is the number one player to go on the penalty kill, a guy who in late situations is on the ice getting the puck out of the zone. But you know what? There are going to be mistakes that come into that, and that is fine, but people need to recognize that it's not Colton Pareko. Colton Pareko is not getting paid $8.5 million because that's what elite number one defensemen are getting paid. Yeah. But he's getting underpaid for what I think other teams would be paying him. I don't agree with that. I think he's paid exactly what he should be getting paid but for if, what it's worth. If he were on other teams, somebody would have given him a bigger contract. 
because other teams would view Colton Pareko as a number one defenseman. And when he's making north of $7 million, I think a lot of people are frustrated with what Colton Pareko is doing. See, on the I don't team. think he's a legitimate number one defenseman. I guess that's where we just differ on this. I think this. you have two guys who are playing like number one defenseman on your team. I think he's a number two defenseman. I, I don't think that he has risen to that level. And the reason why is because of what we're getting from the text line. I'm so sick of excuses for Colton Pareko. The problem is that you're wrong about this, BK. He does not move the puck well from the 3-1-4. What about all of those turnovers? That's why I don't think he's a number one defenseman is because he skates it out of his own zone very well. The passing out of his own zone, especially in the playoffs, we saw this a number of times, can be better. And I do think like if you're pointing to one area where he can improve, I do think that's probably it. It's the passing out of his own zone. And I think this is why, as we look towards the offseason, guys like Nick Letty, guys like Jacob Chikrin make so much sense next to him because you're going to need somebody to be able to be that player. Coming up on the other side, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind, finish up this conversation on Colton Pareko. I know Alex has a little bit more he wants to get to. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. We have run out of time today. Alex wanted to mention one quick thing on Colton Pareko on how he compares to Alex Petrangelo. We will get to that tomorrow. So we'll make sure that we get there. I've also got to uh, re-up our conversation about the Blues in comparison to the four teams that remain. I think I've got a trend that we can get into that makes a little more sense than the way that I explained it earlier today. We'll do all that tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.